get it free. Raquel's down there. Here's Tagliano. Holds it back to line. There's the shot. Scores! Beauchemin with the shot. May have been directed in front. And the Anaheim Ducks come back again and beat the Jets in overtime. So I've had a lot of experiences at the first Niagara Center. I think my very first experience there was when it was called the Marine Midland Arena for Pearl Jam. It was the first event I seen there. Yeah, it felt like that lasted for like a week, Marine Midland. Like yeah, it wasn't long. Actually, what lasted even uh, for less of a time was Crossroads, right? Which was the very original name that's I was right, being built. That's right, that's right, yeah. I remember they used to, at the odd, play the pump-up videos with the with the Cream song. Down to the crossroads, right? So I, I've seen concerts there. Uh, obviously, hockey games. I've had the awesome experience of being able to leave the building after a Game 6 conference final victory in overtime, which is insane. Uh, a new cool thing uh, to the list of things I've experienced at the HSBC Arena or the Marine Midland Arena, or now the First Niagara Center, is the draft lottery presentation. Oh, you were there? Yes, I was at the arena for the Tragically Hip on Saturday. Okay, right. Which makes this even cooler, because that means there was several Toronto Maple Leaf fans in the building. So if you go up the escalators to the 100 level, uh, you walk in the front door, and if you go up the escalators that are to the right, Facing the yeah. the rink, you go up the ones to the right, and you make a quick left uh, at the concourse. There's a bar there. Yes. And I think the last thing I watched in that bar was a Canadians-Penguins playoff game uh, with our friend Matt when he was in town uh, for, I believe, the 2010 Pearl Jam concert there. Okay. A uh, pretty decent-sized space. Uh, there's a lot of people hanging out in there. Uh, the Tragically Hip doors opened at 7. They didn't play till 9. There was no opener. So around 8 o'clock, it was starting to fill up, but everyone was in the hallway. There was no real reason to be in the arena itself. Everyone was in the concourses, kind of spread out, and there was a huge buzz for this, man. Yeah. I mean, a huge buzz. Everyone in the place <laughs> wanted to watch this go down. It was almost like... I wondered, I think I said to Tammy, do you think if the hip were starting at 8 that people would still be standing out here waiting for the completion of this before they went in? Well, that's what I was going to ask. I don't want to jump on your story or anything, but I was not home for this. I was out at a movie, but I was checking Twitter, and 9 o'clock was like when they started the backwards. uh, No, it was 8 o'clock. Oh, it started at 8. Yeah, yeah. It was right before the start of the Penguins and Rangers game at 8 o'clock. Okay. Okay, right. So they started that, and then... It was over by 8.15, probably. Well, that, yeah. Okay, so the hip didn't come on until 9. Okay, yeah. I must have misheard you. Okay. Yeah, doors opened at 7. They went on at 9, and there was nothing in between. Gotcha. Okay. So everyone is kind of hanging out, milling around. 
mostly Sabres fans, let's say uh, 80-20. Okay. Sabres fans to Leafs fans. So everyone's crowded around. The whole area in the bar is packed. Then it's sort of the whole area outside because you could still sort of see some of the TVs, but no volume. So what they did, and I guess you didn't see it either, is uh, Daly, I think, uh, stood in front of the podium with a stack of envelopes and pulled them out one at a time to show to reveal the team logo. Okay, that's essentially what they did last year. Now, too. ultimately, he was going to pull out at some point a gold one. Oh. And that gold one was going to be the winner. Okay. But we didn't know that. We just thought that because they had the order on the side. So we kind of said, okay, if the next one out isn't Boston, they won. Right. You're cheering for the team that right. is so, next up. So like when the logo Boston logo came up, everyone cheered. Boston didn't win. Right. And this is going on team after team after team, right? So then we get to the Leafs, and all of a sudden it got real tense. You could feel it. Just It was dead silent in there. And he pulls out the Leafs. Uh, logo and the loudest cheer. Really? Just a crazy cheer with a few groans in the background, right. right? You know? But a huge pop. Like, just, yeah, it's not them. You know, like a huge, huge reaction. So, I, and I think they were fifth, most likely, to win. They had like a 9% or 8.5%, something like that. But then when the Oilers logo came out, everyone cheered again because we thought, that meant they had third pick. Oh, but it was gold. It was gold, but like we weren't looking for that yeah. or didn't think to look for that. Oh, okay. That's not how they did it so last year. So without the the presence of volume, uh, it killed it a bit be- because people actually cheered when Oilers came up because we thought we're still alive for number one. Right. And then the TV showed the Oilers move up from three to one in the draft order thing. And everyone was like, oh. And then they showed the card again. We saw his gold, figured it out. Uh, to me, um, I don't want – we'll spend it. We could talk about it. We'll just talk about it for a minute right now. Okay. I was not upset about losing the lottery. Uh, there was a, a part of me that wanted to win because of the control it creates. Uh, when you're the first uh, pick in the draft, That's cool. you're in control of it. Sure. Uh, it's cool to be number one. All the cards are on your table. Uh, but in the end, I rooted all year for them to lose, so I didn't have to be disappointed if they lost the lottery. Right. And I very much stuck to that. Right. And I also am very much, as I've said many weeks uh, on the show, one who believes the gap between them is very small if there is one at all. So uh, I was fine and uh, just, just kind of went around about my day at that point, went and watched the hip. All of the trolling that went on about how the Sabres lost, and maybe it's a little bit because of Tim Murray's comments, which I think were blown way out of proportion, but was misguided trolling. We were okay with the tank because of Jack Eichel. Because the tank guaranteed Wyshynski, who we're going to have to talk to next time he's on, is all about trolling the Sabres fans on this for some reason. Yeah, and this is what we wanted. And I was going to ask you about... um, my reaction, I had no little to no reaction because, like I said, I was at the movies. I checked my phone. It said Edmonton wins. Okay. 
I probably would have had a little bit of disappointment if I watched the process because I could see getting excited. Okay, yeah, it was building. To, the energy right. was building. For so sure. I could see being disappointed by that, like after going through the process. But I didn't see that part of it, so I didn't have that. I just thought, okay, we have Eichel, um, Edmonton getting McDavid. Yeah, four out of six. They know how to win those lotteries. It I guess just. It's the I can't get mad about it because well it eliminated the uh, conspiracy talk yeah because why because if they fix there? that I guarantee you that if Gary Bettman in private would rank the teams who are in play for McDavid from most excited to least Edmonton would be the last literally team last literally last it's a Canadian market yep and a small not one. a big one right um yeah, it just it's just so I eliminated that. That was great. It doesn't register. I it would have hurt if 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 Boston would have won or LA or even Toronto, we would have had to deal with all that shit. Now and people oh, still and tried conspiracy stuff. And yeah, people yeah. still tried to manufacture it because the one ball kind of came up and fell down. Or right, whatever. it's like come on, you know, I've never seen a lottery before. Yeah, I don't know if uh, we talked about this. I don't think we did. But where would you have wanted him to land? There, just out of our hair. Why not there? I'm not into the whole. Let's put him in Toronto and have this cool rivalry. See, I'd be okay. Fuck with, that. I'd be okay with that. Um, and as a Bills fan, like the Kelly Marino rivalry was, was fun, but that's because the Bills always won in that rivalry. I'd be as a Sabres fan. I think I'm too gun shy about that's, being I'd, on the wrong. I've been side trying of that to tell Sabres fans all along that this is the Maple Leafs getting Tom Brady dummies. Yeah, so I, I'd be too afraid. As cool as that would be, I think, and fun maybe, I'd be afraid of being on the wrong side I, of that. I rivalry. tweeted it was perfect. Uh, Connor McDavid in the first pick went to the Western Conference. Yeah, Phoenix might have been cool, I guess. There's just It just doesn't. He has no relevance on our path to the cup ever. Yeah, I couldn't. The result didn't make me angry or happy. It's just he's I don't have to hate him, which is cool, because if he was in Toronto, I'd have to hate him. And you know what? There's a really, really exciting, really exciting thing about the face of USA Hockey being on my team for yeah. the next 15 oh, yeah. years. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Any scouting report excites me. It's it's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, McDavid being there doesn't register to me, but he's I don't have to hate him, so I can watch him when he That's the biggest thing too about being not only is he in Canada, but he's in a ten o'clock home game start right. yep. time zone. So second game of hockey night in Canada. Yeah, that's See rough. you later. All right. Let's start the show. Season five, episode thirteen. Uh we're gonna post this on Thursday, April twenty third. It's actually Tuesday, April twenty first today. So this is what we're going to do to put the show together. Last night on Monday, I recorded uh, the first interview of the show today with Jeff Passan. It's long. It's awesome. 50 minutes talking baseball and all kinds of other things. Uh, That was recorded Monday. That'll be the first interview. Don and I are obviously going to record three things and one last thing today on Tuesday. Tomorrow on Wednesday, I'm going to record a short uh, sort of review of the schedule. Okay. Because uh, that's going to come out tonight at 8. Right. So tomorrow, in lieu of a book club, since we don't have a new book yet, I will just do a real quick uh, kind of this stood out type of a thing. Have you – has Anavald done a good job of keeping that under wraps? Cause I, I haven't heard any spoilers. I, I haven't either, yeah. but I heard some – And there of, were five hours out. I heard people saying like 
I don't need to watch that at eight o'clock because all the teams will have released their schedules before then. Usually but, it's like seven fifty-five. Though. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'll do that tomorrow. Then I have an interview with Will Leach on Thursday, and then this will go up. Uh, I also have an interview with Jenny Vrentes this week. That will be part of next week's mostly NFL draft heavy show. Do you have any predictions for who who the Patriots play on Thursday night? The Patriots. Who will they open with? Huh. What divisions are you guys playing this year? I think it's Pittsburgh. Oh, maybe it's not. Maybe Pitt- Pittsburgh win their division last year? Because a lot of people, I think, think it's going to be Pittsburgh in New England. Do they get that home game? Is it automatically a home yep, game? Yeah, automatically. Them? Well, not, the one year it wasn't because they couldn't host it. Baltimore couldn't host it because of a baseball playoff game or something. Oh, okay. Some weird circumstance. I forget what it was. Yeah, but I, I think I've heard... People think it'll be Pittsburgh this year. All right, I'll, I'll just go with that then. That's people. <laughs> I, I'm not going to have a better answer than most people. Yeah. So I will just go with that. Yeah, I can't remember who they're playing this year. So the same as your team. No, I know, but I don't remember who that is yet. Oh, okay. I, I can tell you who it's not from recent memory. But uh, do you care about the schedule? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, for the prime time, figure out what's on prime because you know every single game on there, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I just like to. Yeah, see how many night games we have, see who's playing on Thanksgiving, uh, see what the first weekend is like uh, with night games. Um, I like it for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's not something I get real excited about. You know, but yeah, when it comes out, I'm going to look at it real quick and check it out. And this the segment I'll record tomorrow will probably be about three minutes long. Yeah, I almost I'm feel not like I'm going to spend 20 minutes talking to myself about the schedule. I almost feel like the most exciting part of it is figuring out. I mean, after I guess if you get a primetime game, is where your bye week is. Yeah, and your home opener, first game, yeah, where yeah. you're opening, uh, those kinds of things. Bye week, yeah, bye week is nice. Your Thursday game now is a thing, because everyone plays That's right, one. Right, one's your Thursday game. Who's before it? Who's after it? So there's some things I'm excited to find out about my team. On Saturday, I was feeling nostalgic about the Saints at night, wanting to watch them play. And then I said, no, I don't think I'm ready for all that just yet. <laughs> but uh, all right, let's do this. Three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, we'll start with the NHL playoffs, which have been awesome so far. Uh, Don, you brought up a great point. Uh, this league does a lot of things wrong, and one of them is, for some reason, not starting one game at 7 and one at 7.30 when they have two 7 o'clock games in a given day. It's the worst. And, I mean, it, I was saying to you off there, you almost hope something happens that causes, like, a five-minute stoppage. So at least they overlap by that much where you can not watch. Because you're watching the same highlights on, on both channels, and it's, it's essentially the same intermission, just talking about a different game. But, uh, yeah, they need to fix that. NBA gets that right. We'll start in the West. The the Ducks, as we played the highlight off the top of the show, uh, took control of their series 3-zip against Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg has not embarrassed themselves, certainly. They've hung with a no. a top team in the uh, Western Conference. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen for them. It was a great return. 19 years. 
away from playoff games in Winnipeg. And uh, the white looked awesome. And the crowd sounded awesome. In a small building, they make it rock uh, regardless. And uh, and that uh, that's probably about all we're going to think about that. I mean, that series is kind of an a- becomes an afterthought now because the Ducks are going to win it in four, and f- four or five, right? Yeah, I think so. I think there's going to be two series, that one and the Ottawa series. Where yeah, the, we can talk about Ottawa-Montreal Yeah, the, the as losing well. teams have played well, but they're probably done. Ottawa reminds me of a team that just had to work so hard to get in that there's just nothing left there. There's just nothing left in that tank that they... And they've played all right. They've lost two overtime games. Obviously, those overtime right. games go the other way. We're talking... Even one of them goes the other sure. way. We're talking... Yep. A, a much different story. Did you think it was weird that they went to Anderson for game three? I mean, Hammond has been a thing in the league. Like he got them there and they throw the hamburgers out. And yeah, he let in a weak goal, uh, in overtime there. But I was surprised because is, are you ever going to hear from that guy again now? Like, isn't he just gone now? I mean, like unless he mounts up some kind of a massive comeback, I I I feel like he's a marginalized player now. And I heard his name attached to other teams that need goalies. I mean, I don't know how good he is for real, but I mean, yeah, that was his run, I guess, probably as a as a senator. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird move. I, it it smacks a panic a little bit in a series that I mean, they lost the first game by one goal too, right? It wasn't an overtime game, but I've never hated Montreal the way I have Boston. I uh, just never got the hate for him that way, and I have a a liking for their arena. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, fun to watch. I'm, I'm in for them being in for a while. I, I think the playoffs are going to be better with them in it for a while. Now, I don't want them to win it because I want the cup to never be won by a Canadian team ever again. <laughs> they have good fans. But uh, I want them in it for a bit. Yeah. I think they're hateable fans. Like their whole Oh, their fans are, are hateable. Booing every single non-call mm-hmm. uh, is obnoxious. And they're obnoxious here when they come here. Yeah. Montreal, to me, has always just been kind of... Like Elchenyuk maybe changes it a little bit. He's might be a legit superstar, but they always just seem like an anonymous team to me. Like well, a, and absolutely carry prices. Well, okay, right, yeah. yeah, price. But yeah, so and Subban. I, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, Subban too. So they got one at each position, I guess. Yeah, but uh, they got a, like a like a quarterback, running back, wide, wide receiver, receiver thing with those those three guys. Uh, back out west. Calgary and Vancouver is a miserable series, and I'm going to tell you something really miserable. Uh, our good friend Kenny Agostino, who, by the way, was the best player in the AHL from March 1st on. Mm-hmm. His numbers just unbelievable. Um, congratulations to Ken on a, a good first full professional hockey league season. Finished in the top 50, I guess, in scoring in the AHL after a slow start. He has to go to Calgary. He left today to be a member of the Black Aces. Basically, you get bag skated every day. You make eighty dollars a day per diem, and you only play if like nine guys get injured. What is it? It's a roster of guys. They they call the Black Aces. They're called the Black Aces. They don't even play games or anything. No, not unless because there's no longer there's a four call up rule when your AHL team is in. Their AHL team is out, so they could call up the whole team if they wanted. That's right. So they called up. I don't know, I think he said eight or nine guys. Those eight or nine guys usually don't clog up practice space with the regular team. Yeah, I do remember scratches in the playoffs. They're like It's like yep. a laundry list. Yeah, so. they'll skate separately, and 
he is uh, not into it. Where on the totem pole do you think he is? No idea. No. No idea. I mean, they're because getting- it's impossible to tell if they just left him there because they really wanted him to, you know. Do they have practice that with the year. team at all? I would say no. Really? Yeah. That's rough. Because I mean, they already have scratches there, right? You know, so you're kind of behind the scratches. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, that series has been boring. It's been the most boring series so far. That yeah, Minnesota St. Louis isn't great. Always. Yeah, is. that hasn't been very exciting either. Say uh, Minnesota's got a two-one lead. It, it's tough. It's tough. Like how much we want to talk about these because we're not putting this up till Thursday. And I mean the complexity, you know, the the, the yeah, change, that's true. Could change so much, but just about more about what we've seen so far. Uh, Chicago and Nashville's been been fun. Nashville's just not winning that series. Nope. I'm just sorry. They're just not. It's not going to happen. Like I said, I think last week, uh, Kaner's just going to keep being getting healthier, healthier and better. Yeah. Kaner all the time, and they're just not winning that series. I haven't seen much of uh, Tampa, Detroit, for whatever reason. Uh, that's 1-1. One, one. Uh, we talked last week about Crosby giving the the Penguins a puncher's chance, and he got him a game, right? Three points, something like that? Yeah, I mean, two goals, three points, got him a game. They're not winning that series. No, nope, I think that's probably it. I think I picked them to get swept, but right, Crosby wins a game for him. So. Right. And uh, then the last series is the Islanders and the Capitals, which has been all kinds of fun. Yeah, that's a good one. And I am all in for that one uh, going, going seven. seven. Sure. And uh, I'd say... The Islanders are a fun team. I'd like to see Ovechkin move on. I'm not an Ovechkin hater, so I'd like to see him uh, go deep into a playoff run. So mostly this is this is the uh, my kind of desire to, to have Ovechkin stick it to like the old school dinosaur Canadian hockey uh, whatever experts that always bash on his play. You could score sixty goals, and right, they're gonna hate on something he does. So, if you could only watch one series from each conference for the rest of the play, for the rest of the first round, what series would you select from each? Ooh, that's tough because I don't expect. Uh, I told you before we started recording that, that that second period of the Ducks and Jets was maybe the best period of hockey I've seen in a really long time. But, but that series is almost games, over. Right. right, so I guess I'm going Capitals, Islanders, and probably uh, Blackhawks, Predators. Yeah, those would probably be my picks as well. So Yeah, good start, couple, though. It's always great. There's been an overtime game almost every Something night. To watch every night. Or at least yeah. a close game every night. Now, second thing, on the other hand, the NBA playoffs. Now, we should admit we are not the world's biggest NBA fans. <laughs> That's an understatement, but right. Okay. Their playoffs started on Saturday. They've had three days worth of games. Okay. They've had 10 games total. The average margin of victory is 10.4. And the higher seed has won every single game except for two, which were both the four, five, five over fours. Yeah. yeah, we talked about this. Um, hockey, you can have an eight win it all. Uh, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Maybe that's just because of luck, because of puck luck. Bounces, I think it's whatever. just because of parity. There's just no parity. This is a top-heavy league. Right, for stays. sure. And in, like the talent rises in basketball. It's a more individual sport. You only need – I mean, how much does your bench play in basketball? I mean, you're eight deep or so. Uh, hockey just isn't like that uh, for better or for worse. If you want to see elite talent, maybe you'd prefer watching – 
the NBA playoffs, but just you're not going to get much in the first round or two. Yeah, there just has not been much in terms of compelling action uh, so far. I know New Orleans gave Golden State a game last night. They they kind of won their championship by making the playoffs, though, right? Yeah, and they're not beating Golden State. No, right. Uh, you know, I give them credit. They did give them a game there a little bit. But then, you know, in the end, they lose by 10. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. There was one, you know, they won the first quarter 28-17. Yep. So, there's just not a lot to say about it yet. It's so It's so new. Sure. I mean, I think there's only one series that there's been two games. Basketball ends up weird where one series will be... Do they start playing the second round or something? Well, they do if it happens. And while yeah. other first-round games could still be going on, like yeah. Game 7s? Yeah, Chicago and Milwaukee is the only series that's played two games. Oh, and uh, New Orleans and Golden State. And obviously they're both 2-0. So right. not a lot to say. I'm sure we'll talk more about it as uh, it goes. I mean, from here until the end... The first thing is going to be NHL playoffs, and the second th- thing is going to be the NBA NBA playoffs. And we'll get some people that know more about it. To, when when to we talk need about that. It. Well, right. we talk about them now. Right. No, nothing. Nothing. Uh, third thing, the Cincinnati Reds manager, uh, the father of Carey Price, uh, Brian Price. That can't be true. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, he, he, uh, he lost his mind. And kind of the fun thing about it is that they're trying to, like, pr- they're trying to get it removed from the internet. Okay, good luck. You know, they're like doing everything they can to get this removed. So just in case before you get a chance to hear it, if the Price family manages to remove them all, we wanted to play uh, 30 seconds or so of uh, the Reds manager, Brian Price, who dropped 77 F-bombs during a six-minute uh, press conference. Has it always been this way, where we just tell everybody everything? So every opponent that we have has to know exactly what we have, which relievers are available, which guys are here and which guys aren't here, when they can play, what they can do. It's nobody's business. It's certainly not the opponent's business. We've got to deal with this I'd like to talk, and I have spoken as candidly as I can with you people. If, if that's not good you enough, people. I won't say a thing. I'll go, yes, sir, no, sir. And I can do that. But I've been as candid as I can be about this team and our players. And we got to deal with this. Every team that we play has to know every guy that's here and what they can and can't do. I never get the secrecy of things like that. Like, does it really give the Chicago Cubs an advantage if they know that Cincinnati Red X is available in their bullpen? I, and I know... I know baseball is a major, major sport, and there's people studying this stuff. But the other thing is, is like, I almost, I shouldn't say, can there be someone studying that that hard game ten of a hundred and fifty-two game se- or hundred and sixty-two game season? Because I'm sure there is, but I mean, there's no f- fan clamoring for that information, and there's no other, there's no guy sitting there like, oh, who did he say he's going to start? I mean. I know there's a lot of X's and O's and stuff when it comes to baseball, but I can't imagine. Well, it's interesting because last week our third thing was a member of the media uh, going rogue on a citizen. Yes. And this week we have a manager going rogue on, on the, the media. media. So maybe in the end he is just really disgusted with Britt McHenry. Is that her name? <laughs> yeah, I think and so. And her suspension, and he wanted to get some revenge 
And the because I mean Carey Price is playing well, so I don't see why I'd be in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, his family. You know, his right. son is doing great in Montreal, so I don't know why he's so upset. Uh, it could be something to do with having a Y in Brian instead of the uh, the IA. And people confusing it, and yeah. that's his silliness. But uh, but yeah, eleven I think eleven or twelve games into the season, he's very upset. Yeah, he's got fifteen times more games to go. Seventy seven f bombs. Yep, six minutes. That a boy. They're not zero and eleven or anything either. They're like a five hundred baseball team. Let me ask you this because I'm not. I'm always on the side of people shouldn't lose their livelihoods for this. Oh come on! But would you fire this guy if you were the GM of the Reds? I would. You want a new manager? Would maybe? not fire him because he swore. I. I. This definitely raises some. Uh, alarms that he's this upset. Doesn't have the temperament at, for the job. At maybe? the media after yeah. a, a fraction of the season is over, so probably not. But I think I think uh, alarm bells are going off. Like I'd have to say to him, to? like Brian, what's what's wrong, man? Yeah, like, what's yeah, really maybe, bothering you? You probably pull him into a meeting yeah. and say, "What's up? We're we're doing probably as well as expected. And, like, you know you got to deal with those beat reporters right. like every day. It's, it's for the, their, It's their job, too. the next seven months, you really want to create that kind of friction with them already? <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I definitely would not fire him for it. I don't think he did anything fireable. But, uh, yeah, I think he needs a, he needs a sit down. <laughs> you know what else was funny this week? I almost had it as a third thing. I didn't. Did you see the, uh, the uh, Warren Sapp video of him? explaining to the police what happened with the hookers at the Super Bowl. No. <laughs> so I guess TMZ Sports, uh, who uh, is just the greatest addition to the world of sports that's ever been, they're just always there to help us push these oh, yeah. awesome stories. Uh, they have some videos. One is of the prostitutes, uh, one explaining their sides of the story to the investigator, and then talking about how pumped they are that the paparazzi is there. Um, and then they have Warren Sapp, who basically says he met the two girls at the club, he brought them back to the room, he paid them 300 bucks each, they all got naked, he started taking pictures because, quote-unquote, sometimes I'm silly like that. Then the one was talking too much, so he told her, why don't you use your mouth on me instead of for that? She got upset, so he told her to leave. The other one didn't want her to leave, so he said she could stay in the bathroom. Then he asked the other one if he could just hit it, you know, because they were, you know, getting into it. But she said she needed a tip, and he didn't think that was fair since he had given the other girl $300 for nothing. Now, I I forget where this happened. Is this Vegas? Wherever the Super Bowl was. Arizona was this year. How? Because it was uh, Super Bowl was on the first. This happened on the second, but you know, in the wee hours. Is the crime itself of prostitution and like soliciting a prostitute such a minor thing that like shouldn't they have not even said anything? Like, shouldn't they be worried? I we're think get in trouble? that the reason, yeah, very rarely do prostitutes want to call the police. Right. Uh, I think they were looking for the uh, payday, the the fame grab, the shut up money, and. Um, he got arrested because one of them had a bruise on their arm. Oh, right, that's and right. And claimed it was because of him. I don't know if that's that's still very much in the alleged stage. Right, right. I was just uh, I thought it was pretty funny to hear him say one 
quote unquote, sometimes I get silly like that <laughs> in regards to uh, taking pictures of the naked prostitutes. And then I also thought it was funny that he told the other one uh, she should use her mouth less for talking and more on him. Yeah, I'm sure the cops like that too. Opie <laughs> and Jimmy were talking about it today, and they were kind of sticking up for Warren because he had been in, and they, they enjoyed him when he was in promoting his book, and it just opened a barrage of calls from people from Tampa Bay talking about what an awful person Warren Sapp is. And I have no idea. I've never encountered him. was never in Tampa Bay when he was there. I know there was, he dropped in the draft because of some questionable behavior at Miami, but I'm almost positive it was like a failed weed test. Okay. You know, not exactly. I know we've heard beating a woman, but I'm when I'm telling you, uh, they several times said we should break, but the phones are just lit. Really? And every call was. And then I saw Warren here, and he did this, and then he did this to a child, and then he did this. Oh, really? Made a lot of really nasty, again, allegations. Sure. I don't think any of the things were proven. Uh, it's just people sharing anecdotes about him, but there was not one that was like, yeah, I got to hang out with Warren Sapp in Tampa, and it was awesome. I know we've heard, and it may have been while we weren't recording, so I won't say who, but I believe we've heard unflattering things from people about him also about air, him. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I wouldn't doubt it. We are going to come back with Jeff Passan. Uh, then I am going to talk about the schedule a bit. Then we'll have Will Leach, and then Don and I will be back for one last thing. Our next guest is from Cleveland. He's a graduate of Syracuse. He's the lead baseball columnist for Yahoo Sports. First guy ever to be on the podcast. His ninth time in tonight. He's kind enough to make some time to react to uh, Tim Tebow being signed and give his opinion on that on the podcast. Uh, a warm welcome to Jeff Passan. What's up, Jeff? Do I really have to talk about Tebow? No, completely kidding. But I hope so. It seems I like, hope so. It seems like that's all anyone t- is talking about, right, is T- Tim Tebow? You know, I, would, I, I actually hope he succeeds. Because I have no no if, nothing against him. You know what? If he succeeds, that means he's finally recognized that he's not a quarterback because he's not right. going to succeed a quarterback. He's in the he's in the it, backfield as a fullback or something like that, or uh, not even a full. I mean, it's Chip Kelly. I, I don't right. think there's I don't think there's anything we could you know neither you nor I could conceive that uh, that would be novel to Chip Kelly. But the, the idea that he's going to be able to come up with uh, formations and plays that either use Tim Tebow as uh, a decoy or even better, a weapon, uh, he'd be the guy who I'd turn to. This isn't a Tebow question, but just as a guy who I know is a football fan, uh, if they're serious about eliminating the extra point as just a kick from the two-yard two line and coming up with some other plan that might be a you know, a play or a longer kick or whatever. Are you into something like that? Like, is that something you want from football? Or are you just kind of cool with it being how it's always been and just a two-yard kick and let's move on? I, I'm, I know this is unbecoming of sports media members these days, but I'm so totally ambivalent. I really don't care what they do. <laughs> yeah. I, 
if they want to if they want to kick it from the thirty five yard line, that's fine. If they want to kick it from the seventeen yard line, that's fine. Doesn't make a single damn bit of difference to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I to me, I I would just say keep it. I don't know. It's just kind of a mindless thing. Like I like the the touchdown is scored, and then I stand up and take a breath after the drive, and like drink my drink and sit back down and wait for the uh, the the next play from scrimmage in about ten minutes. After we go, yeah, I mean, it would it would it would unquestionably add something to the extra point. Yeah, like I, I would pay atten- I would pay attention to extra point, but uh, the, you know, the way that it is now, it's just it's a given. Uh, I don't think that we need more exciting extra points necessarily. No. But if it's there, hey, that, that's tension, that's drama, that's more goats uh, for for missing PATs and. Uh, football absolutely thrives on stuff like that. My least favorite thing about National Football League football, and I, I'm pretty sure this is not uh, me being hyperbolic at all. I'm pretty sure. Is, 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 is brain trauma? <laughs> well, <laughs> that probably should be it, but that's... Uh, yeah, it probably should be. <laughs> if, if, if that was it, I might have a harder time enjoying it, so I'm, I've chosen to bury my head in the sand to that. Uh it actually is, and now this is going to sound really trivial. Uh, it's the uh, <laughs> it's the extra point commercial kickoff touchback commercial. Yeah, if that's For, really the worst part of football to you, oh, that's a just, first world problem right there, man. It, it is the worst, though. I mean, come on, <laughs> especially on a national game when the, the 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 breaks are a little longer, like maybe one spot longer. It's it's just oh, it's just brutal. But yeah, that's your that's your that's your fault for watching sports live. Yeah, it's the only thing I can't not watch live though. If I know, See, uh, I just can't do it. One, I can't. If it's a, if it's if it's a, if it's a big game, uh, I'll watch it live. But that's just to interact on Twitter. Otherwise, you know, wait twenty minutes at the beginning, and that takes care of at least a, a whole half of commercials right there. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, but. I'm such a huge Saints fan, and it's I know it's childish at this point too. Like you know, every Sunday, like when it's one of these days where they lost, and it's four thirty, and I go into the bedroom and pretty much go to sleep until the next day. Like I know, like that I need to grow up, but um, seeing that I haven't yet, and probably next season isn't going to be the year that it happens, even though I am hopeful. Uh, you know, being married now and things like that, that maybe that will be on my horizon soon. Steve, uh, such an old man. <laughs> but, well, I don't know. I'm such a child, I think, more than an old man. I feel like uh, I feel like uh, brutal. Where was I going with this? What were we talking about? No idea. It's your show, buddy. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> let's, let's get off of this anyway. We're off the rails here. Um, listen, we're 13, 14, what, 12, 13 games into baseball season. Um, and, uh, I've been waiting to talk to you because I was excited for the season to start this year. I'm always really excited for April 1st. And then by about June, I'm kind of excited for August, but, um, you know, this is a great time of year and, uh, I've been excited about Harvey and watching him when he's pitched and, uh, uh, I watched Felix the other night, and he was dominating strikeouts, all kinds of things like that. I love pitchers. It's always been my favorite thing about baseball. 
what has uh, piqued your interest in the first uh, 13 or 14 games so far here? What have you uh, really been uh, excited to uh, watch or follow or whatever? The American League Central has been really fun so far. And, and granted, it's probably partially because I live in Kansas City, but seeing Detroit and the Royals come out as strong as they have and uh, as arguably the two best teams in baseball so far has been pretty cool. Uh, I think the resurgence of the Mets uh, has been a great story, especially with Zach Wheeler going down. Uh, I had them as a playoff team. Wheeler got hurt. I pulled them out of the playoffs. That was probably pretty stupid of me. Uh, and, and then just your, your classic traditional power teams, the Cardinals and the Dodgers, uh, and, and the Red Sox coming back from, uh, where they were last season. It's, uh, I, I think it's been a fun start of the year. I know you're in Kansas City. You're a great person to ask this question to. When we had Jonah Carry on in probably March sometime, that was one team he really thought was going to have a bit of regression this year. So far not. What was your thought going into the season and has, their 9-3 and three start changed your opinion either way? I have them over 500, but not by a whole lot. And I did not have them making the postseason this year. And I can understand why Jonah had them where he had them, because uh, you look at the bullpen and you say, how can the bullpen do the same thing that it did last year? And uh, yet it's gotten off to a spectacular start. I, I don't think anyone had questions about the gloves, uh, the Royals are the best fielding team in baseball, and right. uh, they've been the best fielding team in baseball for a few years running now. And so uh, that part was going to be there. What's been surprising has been the bats. I mean, they have been absolutely knocking the crap out of the ball, and it's up and down the lineup. Uh, it's uh, At the top, Lorenzo Cain hitting third has been brilliant. Kendrys Morales has been an excellent free agent pickup. Salvador Perez down in the bottom third of the lineup has been absolute nails. And everywhere else in between, even a guy like Mike Moustakas uh, has seemingly learned to hit the ball the other way after being just a remarkably pull-heavy guy for his first four seasons in the big leagues. And so, uh, you know, all of these uh, offensive performers that they've had so far, that's why they're exceeding expectations at this point. And uh, they are a hard-nosed team that, will not take crap from anybody. And we saw that over the weekend, and we've seen that otherwise. And it's uh, you know it's been a very interesting evolution for the Royals at this point because I don't know that anybody looked at them necessarily as a team of bad boys, but uh, that seems to be the way that they want to carry themselves. You know, I, I swear to God I had this thought about them at some point during the playoffs last year when they were winning these games with bunting, uh, and it kind of got into this sort of maybe to an extreme, this uh, you know advanced stats versus non-advanced stats battle. Like the the Royals were carrying the banner for those who don't want to acknowledge advanced stats. And uh, they were fighting the teams who were carrying the banner or whatever. And I kind of just had this thought like, yeah, I know this is getting silly and blown out of proportion a little bit, but... There's, there was just no doubt in my mind that they were going to be a team that people were going to want to say just could not sustain it. I just knew it without looking into what was going to happen over the summer. It just felt to me like a, the lock of locks. Like if I could have bet money on them being a team that people would automatically flag for regression, I just knew it was going to happen. 
And, well, uh, and I, you know what? Here's the thing, though. I think it's understandable why. They lost 200-plus really good innings from James Shields, and uh, their, their offense, frankly, wasn't very good last year. And it's, it's tough to, to predict that a bunch of players are going to take steps forward uh, like they have over the first two weeks. But I'm not all in on the Royals at this point. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I think that they are better than I gave them credit for, but uh, I don't think they're the second or third best team in baseball like their record indicates. Right. Do you, you do think they're probably good enough to at least stick around and be in the thought of that second or first wild card, though, right? Or no? Yes. Are you not of course. Yes. You, you are there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I yeah, and I think they're, I think they're, Good enough to stick around and to and win the central. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that's uh, you know out of question either. I don't think the Tigers are necessarily going to be running away with the central division. I think they've still got some weaknesses that haven't shown themselves at this point. Uh, but the Tigers are doing this without Justin Verlander, and that to me says a whole lot about the the depth that they've got and the ability they can hit the ball and. Uh, if their bullpen can be half as good as it has been so far, uh, they're going to be a very difficult team to beat. Am I being a, an unfair cynic by feeling like there is absolutely no way uh, the resurgence of Alex Rodriguez is legit? Yeah, I think that's pretty cynical. I mean, he hit a ball 480 feet a couple days ago. You don't do that on accident. Uh, there has to be some bat speed there, and uh, there has to be some some bat to ball ability. And Alex Rodriguez has both of those things, though. Even though he's on the cusp of his 40th birthday, even though he moves around like uh, you know, like a, a guy who's coming up on his 40th birthday, but he can still hit. I, I don't think he's going to end the season with the 300 batting average and 600 slugging percentage like he's got right now, but. Uh, I do think, you know, that that's one place where my opinion has changed drastically. I thought he was done. Yeah. I thought he was broken down. I didn't think there was a chance that he was going to be a productive player, but uh, I was wrong about that. And, you know, I, I think Alex Rodriguez, the person, has a lot of flaws and a lot of places he can improve. But seeing Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player, back to doing what he did in his prime when he was, I don't know if he was the best player I've ever seen, but... Prime A-Rod probably was the best I've ever seen. I mean, you can argue Bonds, too, but just as far as all-around player, Barry Bonds was the best hitter. Uh, I think Alex Rodriguez was probably the best player. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to argue that there'd be a, a third. Maybe Griffey could be a guy you could put in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, he was, he yeah, was, maybe he was the third. other one who yeah. I was thinking of. You know, when I was, uh, you, sometimes you say things and then you think, okay, who'd I forget, who'd I forget, who'd I forget. And Griffey was the first one to come into my head. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the Yankees, but I did have this thought in the spring that going into the season that maybe it was the first season since at least some time in the 70s where they were going to feel the team without a a uh, an all-time Yankee on it. And yeah, like a homegrown. Yeah, like, like this, yeah. Who 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 did they have in like the early eighties? Well, they had Mattingly, right? What year? What was this? Yeah, was but Matt, I think Mattingly came up in eighty two. I want to say eighty two, eighty three, somewhere in that range. I'll look it up, but I, I want to say eighty two was his first year. Yeah, that's so, right. So uh, maybe if eighty one was the, I'd have to look at the roster. Like I, it was just kind of a thought. Like wow, like. It's been a long time because they did transition very smoothly, you know, from 
the Mattingly era to the Jeter era. And, yep. I, and uh, you know, to not have a guy like that this year, uh, I guess we'll get distracted by A-Rod from that a little bit. But it was just kind of a, a thought of, like, where this team might be heading just because it's such an unusual place. I mean, for them, one thing that they've done maybe better than anyone is transition from superstar to superstar. I mean, all the way from, you know, Babe Ruth to Lou Gehrig or whatever. I mean, it just seems yeah. like they always can make that transition. And I don't know yeah, who that guy is right now. Mantle coming on board as well. I mean, they've they've had a, a line of homegrown superstars. But uh, not only do they not have anyone there right now, they don't seemingly have anybody in line for it. Right. Yeah, it's like if they're going to have a, a superstar anytime soon, it's either going to be someone we didn't project well, not we. I didn't. I'm not projecting anyone. But in general, that wasn't proje- <laughs> wasn't projected correctly, or someone who they uh, poach, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, even if they poach somebody, is that you know, is that Does really that a, count, right? a Yankee quote unquote? I mean, I think the hallmark of the Yankees has in the past been their ability to to grow guys from their system, especially during. Uh, the the dynastic era that they had in the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, the not just the core four, but but you know, Bernie Williams was also there, and uh, it it says something that you can develop that many great players from your own system, and that when you don't, uh, the results are playing out on the field. Yeah, Mattingly's first season, full season, was '83. And it looks like the 82 team, uh, they did have Winfield, and they did have Randolph. And, yep. um, I don't know if Rand. I, I don't think Randolph counts. I mean, yeah, Winfield was a Hall of Famer, but Winfield wasn't homegrown. Wasn't either. homegrown. They had Ron Guidry on the team. That's the, you know, Ron Guidry was damn good in his prime. I mean, Ron Guidry's 78 season is still an absolute all-timer. Yeah, so maybe. Uh, maybe. But, yeah, that's the last, like, questionable, probably. Uh, time kind of an interesting thing that I thought of uh, over the off season. Um, you know, I am always uh, really interested in guys who were drafted first overall. One thing that we haven't done it, and we should have, but one thing that Lee Jenkins and I have done for years now is about every other or every third time he comes on, I say, "Okay, update me on like the four or five last first overall picks in the NBA and where they are in their careers and where you think they're going." And it's even more interesting and hard for me to follow in baseball because it's definitely <laughs> the sport where the first overall pick makes the least initial impact most of the time. Um, and, and and also the number one overall pick last year didn't is, even sign, is a fascinating right? story. Right. Really fascinating because they spent all that time debating who they were going to pick between four guys. And then they picked a guy and didn't sign him, right? That I'm remembering that correctly, the Astros. Yeah, yeah, it's Brady Aiken. They right. didn't sign him because they had questions about his ulnar collateral ligament, and, and guess what tore. happened in the it spring? Tore. Yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna end up in your book probably, right? I'm sure that's got to be a chapter. Uh, there's not a chapter on Brady Aiken. Uh, he will he definitely will be uh, will be mentioned early on. Uh, he he's actually got a, a very interesting place in chapter two. Okay, I want to talk more about your book in a second, but let's go on the first overall pick thing. Tell me about some of the more recent ones and and who's most likely to make the biggest impact. 
Like, is Garrett Cole well, the best number one pick in baseball right now that has been made in the last, I don't know, how many years ago was he the first pick? Five, maybe? Uh, he was four years ago. Uh, there, well, I mean, if we go back ten years, there have been some pretty damn good number one overall picks. In 2005, uh, it was Justin Upton. Uh, obviously, star going to get probably 150 to 250 uh, to 200 million dollars this offseason. It's a free agent. Uh, Luco Chaver uh, rehabbing from Tommy John surgery down at AAA right now was before he blew out uh, a, a big impact arm for the Royals bullpen. So uh, you know the rich get richer there. Uh, David Price was the year after that, and he's another guy who's going to get 200 million dollars this off season. Uh, Tim Beckham, the infamous Tim Beckham, finally in the big leagues now, playing a lot of second base for the Rays, uh, and he uh, was picked over Buster Posey, and the, the Rays still are Ouch. very sad about yeah. that one. Uh, and then, and then we have back to back Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper. I think you know those guys. Uh, Garrett Cole was the year after that, and then three in a row for the Astros. Carlos Correa broke his leg last year uh, down in. I think it was high A. He might have been a double A at that point. Uh, he's he's a shortstop, big shortstop, 6'4", 210, you know, Ripken, A-Rod mold, and uh, he has the look of an absolute superstar. Uh, and so he will be the everyday shortstop for the Astros next season, I would imagine. Uh, Mark Appel, uh, they picked the year after that out of Stanford, and uh, he had a really rough first year in pro ball, but was very good in the Arizona Fall League, uh, getting some velocity back, and he should join the rotation probably by some point next year. And now the Astros have the number two overall pick this year uh, because they didn't sign didn't the number sign. one overall pick, Brady Aiken, last year. Yeah. So uh, this, this draft is going to be some kind of awful. I mean, there's no clear-cut number one guy at this point, and uh, even among the guys who have a chance of going number one overall, uh, there's just not a whole lot of confidence in teams that they're going to be guaranteed impact players like some of these other guys. Yeah, I, I'm just so I get so so fascinated by it. And they call I like how they call it the one one in baseball too. You know, yeah. they got a cool kind of thing for it. Uh, but I was going to say great phrase. What one one's a great phrase? Yeah, it's great. It's perfect. And I just I get really I get really interested in it, and I love following these guys. Because um, I, 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 I enjoy taking one one into like other other places in life. Yes, like, I do like this with you, wrestling like, terms. Like as in well. like in drafts, like yeah. uh, like if you were to do like my friends, uh, my friends enjoy uh, talking about which which girl would have been drafted one one back in high school. Perfect. Yep, I just did that recently with a high school friend. Actually, we did a top five uh, first round. Yeah, who who went who went one one? Uh, this girl named Rihanna Becker. All right. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure she's a listener, right? She's got to be. I, I couldn't imagine she's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hi, Rihanna. Yeah, Rihanna. Yeah, Rihanna. Oh, uh, Rihanna. Yeah. Oh. You know what started my fascination? Is it, was it, hold on. Was that yeah. is like? Is it spelled like Rihanna? R e a n n a. Oh man, that's interesting. Just Anna with a re at the beginning. Rihanna. Was she like the second Anna? Was she like? <laughs> Did they have did they have a child named Anna who didn't work out the first time? <laughs> so, I think yes, I think that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> she was one one in the uh in the R grade and then we opened it up to anyone in high school and the num- the one one 
that went to our high school anytime we were there was a girl named Erin O'Rourke. And I said that between Rihanna Becker and Erin O'Rourke, those got to be two of the coolest uh, names for one ones in a draft like this. I put those two names up against anyone's. I don't know. Yeah. I just think uh, both really cool Aaron, Aaron O'Rourke sounds like a really nice Polish girl. Yeah, really. Well, uh, uh, I'm not going to say anything. But, uh, you know, this started <laughs> – another thing I do that with, the uh, like transferring one one to other things in life, is wrestling terms. It's unbelievable for that. You know, like everyone like, – like someone – like, you know, you go to a – you go to Like a, someone is a heel? Yeah, someone could be a heel or you get like uh, – you go to a restaurant and you get real sh- shitty service and it's like, oh, of course, you get the jobber waiter. You know, the waiter's just a total <laughs> jobber. You know, or – like like when you go marking out at Saints games. Yes, um, my buddy is all about the marking out. He he uses that term so much. He was not a th- same guy actually. I was just talking about like he is way too old to be marking out, but it does not stop him. You know, he just recently- yeah. I'm, I might I'm 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 at that point now where where I think I may have to uh, help my seven year old get into wrestling a little bit. Seems like wrestling's having quite a bit of a resurgence, especially in the mainstream. You know what it is? We talk about this a lot on the show. My theory, anyway, is it's the the Hulk, the Hulkamania marks from the '80s are gatekeepers now, and they decided it's not uncool to uh, talk about wrestling on a site. Yeah, you know what though? Like, like, my, fr- like my friends, my friends who really like wrestling are are how old are you? Thirty three. All right. Yeah. My 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 my. my Biggest wrestling fan friend is probably yeah. You know what? My friends from high school are huge wrestling fans. Like they went to an NXT show, right? So you can tell. Like I mean, if you're going you're going to an NXT show, you I mean you are big time uh, wrestling fan. Yeah, you're right. Andy 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 McCullough from the Kansas City Star is a monstrous wrestling fan. Yeah, I am. I mean, a huge wrestling fan. He he's a wrestling snob too. Yeah, like he did not. He he was like the only person in the world who did not like WrestleMania this year. Huh. Yeah, I liked it not as much as other people did, but I liked it. I'm surprised he wouldn't like it at all. But um, maybe 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 you and Andy are on the same wavelength. Then. Yeah, I'm a. I I mean, I don't, I'm not going to try to play like I'm too cool for wrestling. I love wrestling. I have since 1980. I took a 10 year break, but. I mean, it didn't mean that during the 10 years when I wasn't actively watching every week, I wasn't still I – I still read the Bret Hart book when it came out. You know, I like I liked documentaries. David Shoemaker, who writes about wrestling for Grantland, said the smartest it's thing. Fan- it's, 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 he's fantastic. He's awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he's awesome. And a really cool Grantland, – Grantland's, Grantland's best stuff is on wrestling and TV. Yes, they excel at both. And uh, David Shoemaker's high school classmate, Brian Curtis – is the other star, in my opinion, of Grantland. Just he sort of just writes about what he feels like, and I just feel like he kills it every time. But um, he said the smartest thing anyone's ever said about wrestling. I think he said wrestling largely exists in people's past, um, even in the present. Like any wrestling fan you ever meet will always say the best wrestling was what they loved when they were younger, and. Um, you carry that with you throughout being a fan all the time. And that's definitely how it is for me. Like every time I sit down and watch it, part of seven year old me gets to live a little bit. And I think that's why they probably have me for life. And like you saying that you want to get yourself like your seven year old son, like that makes me so jealous. Like I am 
the thing I'm most excited about if I ever have the chance to have a son is one like their first skate and two like taking them to wrestling. Well, what the, the problem is though, the first time he saw wrestling, I was clicking through the channels and it was a Friday night and it was TNA, and and he got excited about TNA. Oh no! Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He but it, that. and who he really got excited about was Awesome Kong. Do you know who Awesome yes, Kong I do. is? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like getting excited about Awesome Kong is kind of okay, because she's like she's like the biggest badass, most dominant wrestler there is these days. Like nobody can beat her. She's like Yokozuna was. Right. Like how did anybody ever? How did anybody ever beat Yokozuna? Well, I think what you needed to do to beat Yokozuna is you needed to be just an unbelievable technician like Bret Hart. You know, they were able to yeah. make me believe that Bret Hart could beat him because he was just so great at wrestling. And really, all Yokozuna could do is see. I, jump I don't. On you. I don't think that's. I. I don't think that a technician though could do it. I think that the way to do it would be like a Daniel Bryan these days, or you know, somebody who could just throw kicks and you know, just scoot around and be smarter and quicker and better and and strike well. Well, I think that that's what me, I think that's kind of what I meant. The only difference Yeah, but Bre- yeah, but Bret Hart Brad is the I, I guess he wasn't in an era where strikes were Right, were he didn't valued. have the karate part of it or uh striking part of it as you were saying probably cooler than my karate. Bre- I was going to say did yeah. you just <laughs> drop a karate karate? <laughs> Look at it. It's it's, it's always going to be karate to me. Um karate. I got so <laughs> The angriest I've ever been at my wife. Now, we haven't been married that long, but the angriest I've ever been at her was the other day when I was complaining about Taekwondo. And she said, how could you complain about that? You're the biggest fan of the Karate Kid ever. And I'm like, are you comparing what they do on Niagara Falls Boulevard at the Taekwondo place to what Mr. Miyagi taught Danielson? Why were you complaining about Taekwondo? Well, I was angry because... We had just spent a half an hour at a dinner listening to one of her friends go on and on and on about the six-year-old son she has getting his fourth yellow tip or something. And I, yeah, you get yeah you get uh, stripes these days. Yeah, and I'm just like, what are they selling your poor friend? Like, come on, like they. No, I've been through, I've been I've been through the karate uh, the stripe ringer. I mean, it's uh it's it's pretty it's pretty tough. Yeah, it's not what Mr. Miyagi. I mean, Mr. Miyagi taught the right way through chores. I mean, that's how you need to learn karate is by doing an old man's chores. We all know that. Yeah, you learn karate through chopsticks because right. that makes a lot of sense. Yes, chores. That's the way to learn it. You paint, you wax, you know, you clean. That's how you learn. It's proven. Who wrote the script? Who wrote the script for that movie? A genius. An idiot is <laughs> no. I I believe he was the first member of Mensa. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna look this. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up right now. This is the beauty of the internet. Right. I'm gonna look up the screenwriter. The screenwriter was Robert Mark Kamen. Okay. Uh, Robert Mark Kamen's filmography. Yeah. Let's see. What uh, else let's see. It includes the Karate Kids Part One, Two, and Three. Okay. Uh, Part three is questionable, he, but two is also. He wrote a movie called Gladiator, but it wasn't the good Gladiator. Oh, it was it was Gladiator with uh, it was a bunch the, of wrestlers. Uh, excuse me, a bunch of actors I've never heard of. The Jobber Cuba Gladiator Gooding, and Cuba Gooding Jr. as as a <laughs> as a character named Abraham Lincoln Haynes. Wow, Lethal Weapon uh, three. 
Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, The Next Karate Kid. Yeah, that's, oh, he wrote that's... The Fifth Element. The Fifth Element was, was a badass movie. I enjoyed that movie. You know, he probably, what happened is, he was the first member of Mensa, but he had played, you know, maybe he was in karate, got uh, CTE, and some of his later work is reflected in that sadness of the... Of the, uh, the you know what? He wrote, he, wrote Taken to, he wrote Taken as well. Like, that's a... Uh... Well, there you go. Like I, I said, a, a genius. I wasn't bad, and he wrote. Uh, he he is uh, writing the trans. Uh, did he write the transporter? Yeah, he's written all the transporters. Genius. Little, little Jason. Little Jason Statham action. He's a multi multi millionaire doing this, and not. Just, oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah, not just from the karate kit. So, yeah, his yep. uh, his. Uh, you know, uh, someone had put it on uh, Facebook about um, Allie with an Eyes movie where she's the babysitter. And I don't know if you remember it, but she's like, she's in Chicago for some reason and she's a baby. She gets stood up by like a date, which serves her well because, I mean, she had just crashed Danielson's car, you know, ruined his prom. So then she takes off to Chicago, gets stood up there, ends up being a babysitter. Next thing you know, she's sleeping with Tom Cruise in, Tom Cruise in Jamaica. You know, then, and I'm not complaining, she did show her breasts in some films. And then as an adult, she was a hooker in Las Vegas. So... I question her parents, and her parents aren't prominent. Wait, hold, hold, on, hold, on, hold on a second. Yes. Like an actual hooker? Yeah, didn't you see Leaving Las Vegas? Allie with an eye is in that. She's a hooker. So I, oh. It, I, thought, I thought you meant like the uh, – okay. I thought you meant Elizabeth Shue actually like became a hooker. No. See, uh, Elizabeth Shue does not exist to me. It's, she's been Allie <laughs> with an eye the whole time. And her parents are those people that meet Daniel before the date and he kicks the brick. And it's like these people don't even get their porch fixed. I'm not surprised their daughter grew up to be a prostitute in Las Vegas. I'm just not surprised. You're a a mean person. Uh, We are so far off the rails. And um, there's no chance to ever get it back at this point. Um, But I do want to ask you a little bit about your book before I let you go. Um, one thing I that saw, I, can talk about. I saw a thing on Showtime about. Uh, did you see this? It was on sixty Minutes Sports about, you know, basically about pitching and new science for it and things like. Did you see this piece or no? Because if not, we'll just move on from it. But yeah, I, I honest, I didn't think it was all that good to be honest. <laughs> like, no, I was wondering what you thought because you've been obviously yeah, studying I mean, it. You know. the, the, I mean the stuff the stuff that they were the stuff that they were talking about is stuff I've been looking into for a couple of years now. So it, it, it's it's kind of old news to me. But uh, I hope other people found it eminently fascinating because uh, there is definitely a chapter in the book uh, about that. And they, they didn't get into nearly the detail uh, that that I've got uh, as far as what Major League Baseball is doing. Because ultimately, the only thing that is going to stop this. Or not stop it, but at least stem it is Major League Baseball. the The onus is on them because so much of this goes back to what is happening in youth leagues, and youth leagues are they they have such disparate rules. There is such little organization among them that there needs to be something at the top of the food chain that is dictating down rather than the rules going from the bottom to the top in Major League Baseball ending up with damaged goods on account of it. 
Right. I thought what was interesting about the Showtime piece, or and and I wanted to really ask you if you agreed with this, is they kind of seem to think that the rules that exist in the little leagues are just the wrong rules. That limiting things like curveball is not what is causing injury long term. Yeah, I mean that's what the studies say, and uh, you know I defer to the scientists uh, on that one because they're the ones who have done the research and right. uh, have have done good you know, solid science and science says that curveballs, uh, are, are not bad for your arm. Now, anything, whether it is curveballs, bacon, or whatever it may be in high doses is probably not going to be good for you. And so I don't advocate going out there and having your catcher throw down a, you know, two fingers, for 60% of your pitches. I think that they should be used very sparingly because, frankly, they're difficult pitches to throw. And kids throwing breaking balls at all, uh, you know, I I don't like or appreciate that. Uh, But I think ultimately uh, the the important thing is that if you are going to do it, if you're not going to just go fastball changeup, which honestly is what all kids should be doing, uh, until they're 13 or 14 years old, I think, then at least limit them. Let me ask you this. Having done all of the research and reporting for this book, do you feel like if your son uh, told you tomorrow he wants to start pitching and wants to someday meet, be a Major League Baseball pitcher, that you do have information that you're confident enough uh, that you could guide him through it without something like this happening? It's strange to say without him hurting his elbow because I feel like you know anyone could injure their elbow regardless. But do you feel like you have – obviously you have all the information. Do you think information is out there that would make you feel confident to be able to have a pitcher and get them through without – with the least likely amount of this happening to them, if that made any sense? He's, he's, sure. he's, he's, he's a big reason I'm writing this book. Yeah. This book, this book isn't just for diehard baseball fans. I mean, I those people are going to read it. They they just are because I think it's an important book and I think it touches on a lot of things. But the people who I really want to read this are parents because I think once you get done with this book, you will have a far far better idea of how to handle your kid, and it plays a huge huge role in this book it, it, because that's where the story is now. Right. If if the if the usage at, at young ages is what is ostensibly causing this, then I need to take a look at what's happening at young ages, and that's why I went to a you know ten U tournament a few weeks ago to see how kids were being handled, and uh, that's why I went to Japan to to see what it's like with kids there, and. You know, the Japan chapter, I think, is going to horrify people. And chapter two of the book, which is going to start off with a 10-year-old kid uh, who pitched twice in one day at a tournament that is team one, is another thing. And uh, I I think that they're just, you know, I'm very lucky. I have run into some remarkably good stories. It's not just the guys who I've been following around for the last, God, three three and a half years now, uh, three years, it'll be three and a half. Uh, it's, it's three years now. Uh, 
it's not just them. I mean, I think that ultimately they're the heart of the book because they're the face of this and they show what it's like to come back and the, the emotion and the growth and the, uh, you know, the, the difficulty in realizing that the thing that you love to do most, the thing that you have spent the first 20 years of your life working toward can just be taken away in an instant like that. You, you're not guaranteed anything. And there's a, there's a great conflict there that uh, both of these guys have to come to terms with and resolve. And uh, in between that, though, I went around the world to try and figure out the R. And I don't think I know everything, but I think I know enough where I'm pretty confident to say that uh, I, I can put my, my kid who does want to pitch and who enjoys throwing a baseball and throwing it hard, I can put him in a good enough position where if he gets hurt, it won't be for the same reason that so many of these other guys are getting hurt. Yeah, that's great. That's that's so cool. Because, you know, what you were just describing about the, the 20-year-old kid or whoever, 20 years, and they get it taken away from him, that almost in a way, happened to my brother this year. Uh, you know, he broke his leg around Thanksgiving four games into his senior year as a D1 athlete at Yale. And, you know, that morning when he broke his leg, because he broke it in morning skate, you know, the first time I talked to him, the first thing he said to me is, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to play again, and now what am I going to do? And it was great to be able to say to that, say to him, well... You know, in fairness, you will have a Yale degree, so I'm sure you'll figure something awesome out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, I, I think you just—I think you just brought up that story so you could name drop your brother going to n- Yale. No, believe me, I've dropped that so many times that it's not effective oh, anymore. Know. You know what I mean? Like, I've, and I do know that every single listener just rolled their eyes. But you brought it up that you know he he got back anyway, and he's probably still going to play anyway. But yeah, I mean, just the idea of that—it's—I've seen how devastating it can be and, and how hard it is and it's so cool hindsight is so i don't know if hindsight's the right word but hindsight i've been thinking about it because i'm gonna have a nephew like next week or the week after that sometime really soon and you know my dad all he talks about is you know how his grandson is going to even be better at hockey than his son was because now <laughs> you know now he knows everything about how to uh raise a d1 hockey player um, so my nephew will probably be the youngest NHLer ever, if you ask my uh, dad. So, so he's he's going to declare for the draft at fourteen. He might, he might, he will. Okay. Yeah, he might because I mean, knowing what my dad knows now, because he said this, you think I have named dropped my brother a lot in this podcast? You have no idea how many times since my brother announced he's pregnant, my dad has said this exact line. Oh. If I would have known the things I know for Gregory about Anthony when he was uh, born, oh man, it's like, well, what? What would he have done better than D one at Yale? Like what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think he did pretty. Like he did well. Like it's okay. I don't think he really. But I don't know. Again, off the rails. When are we going to see this book? Uh, this time next year. This time next year, and yeah. just kind I am. I am. I am. Uh... I am sequestered away like Jack Nicholson in The Shining right now, writing this thing. So, and if uh, you are you are taking me, if I if this book doesn't come out at this time next year, it will be your fault by a half an hour. Yes, it will come out a half an hour later than as hoped because of uh, this conversation. Accurate, right? Uh, 
if you had to put a number on it from zero to a hundred, what do you think the percentage chances I might get a uh, what is it a galley copy of this? Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know who the galleys go to. I honestly, so I, like, I don't know enough, how the publishing yeah. industry works well enough to say yay or nay to that. Yeah, so I'm probably up uh, 8 or 10% then, it sounds like. That's okay, though. I, I just can't wait to read it. I'm really excited. I can't wait. It's it's my most anticipated book since... No, not Private Parts. There's been something since then. I'm looking at my bookshelf. I'm trying to figure out what I've been... Death to the BCS. That, I didn't. Death to the BCS is the reason we have a podcast. So I could say that because I've told yeah. you the story before that I got that book for Christmas and I read it and had a bunch of questions and said, wouldn't it be cool if I could interview one of the authors? And then my partner said, well, why don't we start a podcast and see if one of them will come on? That's literally how go. this show started. So I could say Death to the BCS, but I didn't know ahead of time about it. Like it's just, yeah, you, true. you know. Like, what did I anticipate? I know private parts because, you know, Howard Stern talked about it every day when I was getting ready for the eighth grade, you know, that he is writing it. So it's definitely very excited for that. I guess it might be that. Maybe the last job. Right. Maybe the last. In that, in, that, in that book, I think that book sold like four or five million copies. <laughs> right. That. Yes. And also, I, I should say the Jeff Perlman book, too, but the problem that the the last Jeff which Pro- which, Je- which Jeff Perlman book? Well, the the first one I would have been able to anticipate, which was Showtime, and that's what hurts it because I don't care about basketball that much. I was still very excited to read it, read his next book because uh, Sweetness might be my favorite sports book I've ever read. It's definitely in the top five. Um, so I, and I love Jeff; such a nice guy to me, and uh, so I was very excited. But I can only get so excited about a Lakers basketball book, you know. But. Understandable. Listen, Jeff, thank you so much uh, for all this time. I don't know if we accomplished what I set out to because for some reason with you, unlike any other, we end up fucking around for a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, uh, your fucking around is my marking out. (laughs) Great. Good. I'm glad you at least uh, have fun and you don't hang up and say, Jesus, why does he keep calling me to do do that? Uh, (laughs) But uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, if kill kill this book. I know you're gonna. I can't wait to read it. And uh, when you come out the other side, and uh, a few months have passed, and I feel like it's the appropriate amount of time, I will email you and try to drag you back on again. Sounds like a plan for time number ten next time. Uh, yeah, I'm not even close to the top, though, am I? No, that will put you within nine of the top. Lee Jenkins at nineteen. I was gonna say, who else is ahead of me? Jenkins uh, is like the Alec Baldwin. Yeah, John Wertheim is ahead of you. Although he's tailed yep. way off because he's a main man now, you know, so I can't get him as right. much as I used to. Not that he doesn't still come on. He has come on, I think, twice since he's been a main man, but much less. Um, that might be, you know, like a, like about it. Like those two are ahead, and then there's like probably a big group between nine and eight and 11 or so. You know, like our main guys. All right, well. You know what? I would I would say that uh, that's pretty damn good company. Yeah, Wyshynski is another one that's probably right around tennis. The Puck Daddy. He was still on the, good company. He was on the second show. You were on the first. He was on the second. You know, Deitch was on the third, and he's probably right around that number as well. And um, you know what really bums me out? I'll let you go on this. What's that? Is when 
there's a guy that never gets a two next to their name. Sometimes it doesn't bum me out because it's like I just got a guy who never should have been on. Like Frank DeFord doesn't bum me out that I haven't got him on a second time because it's just like so cool that it happened once. You know, and like Artie Lang, it doesn't bum me out that he hasn't been on twice because, again, so cool he was on once. But yeah, isn't it great to? I'll tell. I'll tell you what. This will. This will be the ending story. Take a guess who I got for the book. Someone that you got who, for the book. Let's see. Who, who would be like? Who would? Who would you like? Who doesn't talk to the media like ever? And would be a fascinating story about the pitching arm. Oh man. Um. Hmm. I, 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 Sandy, I, Sandy Koufax. Oh, and that amazing. was awesome. Sounds awesome. Coolest, cool, coolest, like coolest day of my professional career. Do you Far not? None. Do you not love Jane's book on Sandy? It's great. I I reached out to Jane afterward actually, and and she's like, "You did what I couldn't do." <laughs> Because <laughs> Jane, Jane and I share uh, an editor. Jane is kind enough to uh, to to not be writing something right now. So uh, David Hershey is uh, uh, going to be editing this book, and uh, very very excited for that. Yeah, and I'm excited for Jane's uh, Babe Ruth book. You know, she. Yeah. I feel like she announced it on this show. I asked her, like, yeah. does anyone have you said this publicly before? And she wasn't sure. So I'm just running with that. Yes, she announced it. She is yeah. what makes she's the class of this show. Um, like her, yes, she she's she is she is she's amazing. If I can write if, if my if my book is is fifty percent as good as any of hers, I will feel like I I am a raging success because she is so good. Yeah, she's so so good. So nice to me too. That that's one that blows my mind. Like, how can Jane like want to come on again? She's been on like six times probably, and. It's, pretty good yeah it's amazing but jeff thank you so much bud i had fun tonight oh just make sure to talk wrestling with jane next time she comes on right? <laughs> i'm sure she'll love it yeah absolutely i i'm sure she's like a big uh fan of uh, bruno san martino oh no she's definitely a uh, she's definitely uh a big kevin owens <laughs> kevin owens yeah she, <laughs> she hates cena she's a cena sucks person she's <laughs> She's all about Finn Balor. <laughs> all, right. all right, bud. See ya. Sneaking back into a war zone with the same plan a second time is insane. It's brilliant. They'll never think we're crazy enough to do it. Oh, you're so romantic, Colonel. And you're so crazy, fool. Yeah. Are you ready, Captain? I'm always ready. All right, we got to thank Jeff Passon for being on the podcast. Love having Jeff on. Um, it is Thursday afternoon. Uh, what you just heard was a re- interview I recorded with Jeff on Monday, and before that was Don and I on Tuesday. Uh, since the NFL schedule did come out, and uh, I have to say, uh, I am happy with it as a Saints fan. Uh, they're the only team in the league. That doesn't play road games on consecutive weekends. Uh, they have three night games. They're all in the Superdome. 
And uh, they have a November bye, which is good. It's not too early. Uh, it's not too late, though. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I'm happy with it. Uh, Don is probably only sort of happy with it. There's no night games in Buffalo. They have to go play New England in New England on Monday Night Football. Uh, their Thursday game is also on the road, I think, against the Jets. And they start the first two weeks of the season against the two teams who played in the AFC Championship game. Uh, otherwise, it's cool. There's a game on uh, Christmas Eve night. Uh, it's a good time for that. I, I'm into that. Uh, I thought the Thanksgiving games were just okay. Uh, obviously, I'm not crazy about watching Atlanta at night on Thanksgiving, but uh, I guess you can root against them. Um, other than that, I mean, I think a little bit's too made of it. Uh, Don and I talked about that too. Uh, the schedule leaked at like 10 to 8. I looked at it, and then I realized that they were going to still try to have a three-hour show on the NFL Network. So I passed on that and went back to the playoff hockey. Uh, but, um, yeah, happy as far as that goes. Uh, speaking of playoff hockey, uh, we've had a team be eliminated already. The Jets, who I thought would have a really strong home ice advantage, lost both of their home games and lost the two games in Anaheim, and they're out. Uh, swept out, so they're the first team to lose uh, a series in the NHL or the NBA. And the NBA last night finally had a team lower than a five-seed win as the Spurs uh, beat the Clippers in what looks to be uh, probably the best uh, first-round series. We're going to take a break in a second, and uh, I have an interview that I just did, so just now on Thursday, with uh, William Leach, Will Leach from... uh, Originally Deadspin, and now he writes for Sports on Earth and a bunch of other places. We'll talk to him. Uh, and then Don and I will come back for one last thing, which we recorded uh, on Tuesday. It's going to be a quick turnaround this week. We're going to get the podcast next week up right away on Tuesday. Interviews with uh, Jenny Verentes and Chris Burke uh, to talk about the draft. We want to try to get that up on Tuesday. Uh, so you can hear it before the first picks are made on Thursday. We will take a break and be back uh, with William F. Leach. Our next guest is from Illinois and is a graduate of Illinois. Uh, He has worked for Deadspin and now works for SportsOnEarth.com. He's also an author and a podcast host as well. He's making his third appearance on our show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Will Leach. What's up, Will? Hey, man. How's it going? Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I was just, um, just before we talked, I was bouncing around on Sports on Earth. I, I was on there a while yesterday reading a bunch of stuff, and um, I was just looking like to see if you posted anything today, and I saw, I was looking at your podcast real quick, which starts apparently as soon as you click on the page, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and uh, it said that 
your hockey writer takes his shot at Will's challenge, but I didn't get a chance to figure out what the challenge is. So, what is? Yeah, well, I do, I do uh, uh, for each of the podcasts. I have, of course, the regular interview, and uh, and and now I'm actually doing a weekly uh, baseball podcast with Allison Footer, who's a writer at uh, MLB.com. We're just doing a weekly baseball things. I feel like there's not a lot of great baseball podcasts, but also. Uh, I when I have a non baseball guest or a non Allison guest, I actually make them do trivia at the end. So I have I write oh. trivia questions for them. Uh, we've, we've actually had a lot of very fun people do it. The all time record uh, holder is Frank Schwab from Yahoo, who uh, I think I, I I think I made the trivia questions too easy for him. But I love the idea that uh, like like uh, Paul Feinbaum and uh, Jeff Passan, who I believe was, uh, you've had on as a guest before. He's have, on this uh, show, yeah. Yeah, he's on this one. So yeah. uh, he's been on. He, they they put together great scores. It's a fun kind of thing to do to all the guests to make them uh, answer trivia questions uh, in their in their in the, their ballywick of expertise. So it's it's pretty enjoyable. I'm always curious when uh, I get to speak with someone who has their own podcast, and I I know that it's you know it's becoming a a thing where uh, podcasts are becoming a thing, and part of this is Howard Stern's fault. I blame him, but. Where now when people ask me about some of the things I do, I'm sort of embarrassed to talk about the podcast uh, because it's just like it's oh you know it's just turned into a thing where everyone does one and there's a a large variety in terms of how well they do them, you know like there's some that are amazing and then there's like so, there's some that have the capability of like captivate like captivating the culture like the uh serial one for example right and then there's other ones that are just the opposite of that the complete opposite of that and uh so i've been getting a little sheepish sometimes when i you know yeah i do a podcast and you feel like the person's looking at you like yeah of course you do everyone does one (laughs) uh but when someone uh isn't exactly known for podcasting and does one i'm always interested to know kind of like what they like about it, what they don't, and what they find most challenging about making theirs interesting. Yeah, you know, one of the things I enjoy doing about it, for me, A, it's just a fun way, you know, writing is what I do. Podcasting is the side thing I do every once in a while, just to, right. uh, for the reason I podcast for a couple of reasons. One is just, I like really talking to interesting people. It's fun to talk to people that know what they're talking about. One of my favorite NBA guests is Lee Ellis from the Starters on NBA TV. It used to be the Basketball Jones with Skeets and Tass. And the yeah, we group. always have Tass on. Yeah, and yeah. I have uh, and Lee, and Lee's the guy that I have on, right. and uh, and it's great, you know, like it's just like that's just a great basketball mind, and I just love to sit and talk to him about it. It's just fun personally for me, whether anyone is listening or not, uh, to just talk to someone about that. It kind of clarifies uh, the things that I'm thinking about the NBA, and it it's it's all along the same reasons I listen to podcasts. It's, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts in a lot of ways because I feel like I write about all things, not just sports. I write about politics. I write about movies. I write about entertainment, and I don't have time to read everything. I do the best I can. But for me, podcasts are like when I go for a run, I can get more information into my brain. I feel like to live in the time that we have and not take advantage of putting as much knowledge into your brain as possible is a waste of resources in a lot of ways. So I, I like talking to smart people about smart stuff. And you know, also, you know, I'm a writer. You know, that's what I do. And talking professionally, it's not something I went to school for. It's not something that natu- that comes naturally to me, as you can tell, as anyone who's listened to the podcast knows. I talk very fast. I sometimes mumble my words. And so I'm trying to get better about that. Uh, just, just if, just because I feel like just professionally, it's not the the worst thing. And podcasts are fun because you know I listen. I, I feel like podcasts are made fun of by people that don't listen to podcasts, and people that listen to podcasts 
can't understand why no one listens to podcasts. <laughs> and it really just baffles me in a lot of ways. You know, we we very much are an a la carte culture, and we uh, you know, we kind of get to pick and choose whatever we want whenever we want it. Except when it comes to the radio, <laughs> and for some reason, people like the randomness of the radio, or they like the randomness of of Spotify or something like that. To me, one of the things I love about podcasts is I, it's pick and choose my own radio show. You know, I uh, right. I do I I live in Georgia now, and I drive I don't live in New York anymore, and so I drive a lot more now. So for me, you know, the idea of like hoping to try to catch something worthwhile, very unlikely on the radio, I'd much rather be able to listen to 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 uh, to the starters or to listen to you or to listen to to Bill Simmons podcast and to me that is an ex- the uh, it's I don't think of it so much as podcast as on demand radio and uh, so I, I think there's a lot of value in that and I think as more and more people get more comfortable with it I, I think more people will will choose to uh, to go that route. Has there been any specific challenges or frustrations specifically for you uh, with doing yours? Yeah, sounds. I'm not an expert in that stuff. You know, I, I hopefully it sounds better. And, um, and then the, certainly the first the first like three months of podcast it's it's that it's that's problem that a lot of podcasters have a one person picking when there's, when there's two guests one person is really loud and one person is really quiet right. and you know I figure I had to figure out the levels and I'm still not great at it my podcast is still like I look at like the solid verbal which is Ty Hildebrand and Dan Rubenstein's podcast about college football there's a uh, it's funny their podcast is exquisitely produced it sounds fantastic they do a great job with the sound i actually was at the college football championship game and i had ty on my podcast and it was you know it was it was like someone that used a word processor coming in and writing their name in the ground with a stick you know i mean it was my my audio compared to ty's was pretty embarrassing so that's a frustration uh, but i have to say you know generally speaking i when I started, I was doing them daily. I was actually doing a daily podcast, five days a week. Then I went to four. And now I'm back to now I'm to, to weekly. And the reason is not because you know I didn't have time to do them. It's, it was finding guests. It's hard to, to find book. that many yep. guests was was mm-hmm. very difficult to do five a week. Uh, to do one every day because sometimes you would like do one a few days ahead of time. Some days you do it the morning of and. You know, so that that was a challenge, but for me, it's just kind of a fun. You know, it it lets me kind of workshop things. You know, I but writing is what I do, and everything is really in service of that. So if podcasting helps me clarify my mind on some things or talk to interesting people, but interesting things, I understand the hockey playoffs a lot better than I would have otherwise because I had Joe D'Alessio, who's a really good hockey writer for Sports Center Earth and for New York Magazine, and he like I, I talking to him and asking him questions about the playoffs helps help kind of clarify some of my thoughts about it so for me you know it like everything else it's uh maybe other people will like it but really it's just a self-indulgent exercise in my own uh i suppose self-actualization do people ever say no to you what i mean because the only the only i've had say no uh have been people who say that maybe they work for a media company that doesn't allow them to do it all right yeah that's the only that's the only time i've had i've I've had flat no's because my most frustrating thing about doing it and and maybe maybe it's uh, about who i am but no one ever says no i get two things yeah. <laughs> right, i get right. two things i get yes or silence <laughs> right. just That's true. an absolute no sell no response like you know they got the message you know you know <laughs> they read it but they can't even say no thank you and that that's uh that's that's very that's very frustrating but um, you know, obviously we've been lucky that 
anyone has come on because when we started, absolutely no one knew who we, who we were. You know, so to be able to get anyone to say yes obviously makes me feel really good. But it's so frustrating that people just can't say no, thank you when they don't want to be on. Yeah, but you know, and I understand that. But you know, I also I understand that you know it's it's an intimate thing. You know, we're all incredibly busy people, and it's difficult to say. It's difficult to say like. I respond to every email and I, I say yes to every request if just because, you know, I remember when nobody cared at all about, not that, not say that there are millions of people following my every word now, but I certainly remember a time where absolutely no one was reading what I was writing, no one was paying me to write. Uh, I, I would have been desperate to, uh, to, to have the opportunity to have anyone want to talk to me at all. And so for me, I feel that uh, it's important to say, to say yes to everything and, and to do that. But I understand it's hard to tell someone, no, I do not think you're worthy of spending a half hour of my time to. I think that people right. will just people will just uh, ignore you rather than uh, I guess be what they consider openly rude because you know they, they can claim that they didn't see it or so on. But I get it. Like time, everyone's busy. Everyone's got you know uh, small windows of time. They have a lot of stuff to fit in. So I I've never gotten a flat no. I've had a few. I've, I guess I've had a couple people uh, not get back to me. But generally speaking, people are down for it, and uh, I, I don't know whether they listen to the show or not or. Uh, but I really don't care. Like, you know, for me, like I stopped, you know, I stopped worrying about how many people are reading or listening to my stuff or watching my stuff or anything. I stopped worrying about that a long time ago. You know, I, I can't control that. The only way I can control that is by doing things that I think are stupid, <laughs> like, uh, like making, making the work that I do a little dumber or not even dumb, even just dumber, but just making it a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, silly headline and hot take type of stuff. I just don't really have any interest in doing that. So to me, I'm okay with having, you know, the numbers of people read their things and stuff like that be a little bit smaller if I can still do what I want. And I've been very lucky so far to be able to do that. Right. I think it translates into our own lives. I think that we have trouble saying no in general. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but since text messaging, nobody ever actually tells you bad news or breaks plans with you that's always texted you know what i mean like let's say you have plans with someone to go get ice cream uh and those plans are going to be off it's always a text message never a call you (laughs) know what i mean like uh, i'm okay with it it's funny because you know i I, as someone uh, the the only time i really talk to people are people that i actually see or and i'm doing a podcast i tend to not i'm not really i we're not really a phone call uh talking culture anymore and i'm actually okay with it i find phone calls very inefficient to be entirely <laughs> honest and uh and i don't i don't really mind having that come out of my life i'm also not a big texture to be honest you know i i've talked it's funny when i talk to people that are younger that people in like their uh, early to mid 20s uh around that age they can't now, i used to get made up made fun of for still having yahoo mail now i get made fun of for constantly emailing <laughs> when i talk to people that are younger i talk to students or or people that come just, just starting the industry they text all the time you know and i they're a mobile uh, culture in a way that uh, that me I'm a desktop culture so I'll always be a laptop culture in a lot of ways so I still like to email I'm not a heavy texter I find you know I feel like my phone is intrusive enough <laughs> I like to get to messages when I have the opportunity to do so and take my time with them and that just means I'm old I think but I I'm not really a heavy texter I'm uh, but I will I answer every email I receive even the ones that call me a monster which are uh, you know when you work in the public realm there's there's quite a few of those. Uh- I was on board with Sports on Earth from day one. I don't know why. Uh, uh, just right away, I was like, this is cool. I'm into this. It's a ton of writers writing about a ton of different things. It looked cool. I liked it. And then there was this kind of like 
Sports on Earth Armageddon Day, I remember. <laughs> and now it seems like since then, it's kind of building itself back up. Um, what do you think about where Sports on Earth stands right now? And uh, what, what do you think uh, uh, makes it, what is it best at? So basically what happened with Sports on Earth was, uh, you know, it was owned by Major League Baseball and Gannett. And I think it gave uh, both of them an opportunity to, when you're running, when you're trying to serve two corporate masters, you're really not serving any. <laughs> so uh, uh, and it worked very well. And we had a lot of very good writers doing very good things. But when Gannett backed out because of reasons having absolutely nothing to do with Sports on Earth, they had their own budgetary issues. It's Gannett. It's a newspaper company. They've got lots of problems, to right. say the least. I think people, people that know Gannett know, know all of these things. So basically what happened was, they they froze basically MLB Advanced Media said okay we need to figure out what we're going to do with this are we going to keep it are we going to shut it down we don't know let's just freeze the freelancing for right now figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go well the problem was when they froze the freelancing they didn't realize because they're a big media company who doesn't really know uh, uh, doesn't know what every single uh, arm uh, of its companies are doing they froze the freelancing and all, most of Sports Center's contributors were freelancers so uh, all of a sudden there were all these really talented people who had been counting on Sports Center as their main source of freelancing income all of a sudden like they went on they it felt they felt fired in a lot of ways and i understand that it was certainly very frustrating so there was like an hour and a half stretch on twitter where everyone's like sports earth is imploding and sports earth is imploding we're very fortunate now that i think we've weathered that uh i don't look at the specific traffic numbers but i'm told they are actually up from before uh before all of that happened and a lot of those initial contributors have actually come back to write for sports on earth not all of them uh and not all of them have and for me that is actually very encouraging one of the things i thought was great about uh because it was a terrible day to say the least uh i mean the editor-in-chief of sports on earth left like it was it was without i'm not trying to minimize it was a difficult day but one of the things that was exciting about it was to see all of the you know people kept all that day were like the sports on earth not working uh, is a sign that online journal you can't do smart online journalism, which of course that had nothing to do with what was going on. This is really just one big media company lopping a line off its budget. But the thing I thought was great is so many of those great great writers from Patrick Ruby, from Tom- to Tomas Rios, to uh, to Aaron Gordon, to so many uh, great writers, they were picked up immediately. <laughs> they were picked up like within seconds. And you know uh, Michael Weinreb, you know they're, they're uh, Wendy Thurm. You know, there's so many great writers there, and there was a market. For them, and I think that you know now, uh, now Vice Sports, I, half of them write for Vice Sports now, and Vice Sports is great. And so you know, I think that that is encouraging to me that uh, that Sports on Earth, I think, is still able to serve its primary mission, which is to tell uh, good stories smartly and in detail. Uh, and now there's a lot of the initial contributors are now at uh, other places doing the great things that they were doing for Sports on Earth there. So I'm very happy. It's it's certainly different, but I will confess, you know, my for my contributions have not actually changed that time. I do the right. exact same thing yeah. I was doing during that time. I write every day, and uh, and I and I have the same freedom I did before. So I'm very fortunate. Not everyone was so fortunate. And I certainly understand that. And, I've, and it was it was the difficult time, but I'm very happy that sports is still up and running and uh, doing very well today. Yeah, and it, it seems like once it got past that initial couple weeks of uh, of just kind of having people maybe who didn't know the whole story on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, well, how unlike Twitter, huh? right, how right, unlike exactly. Twitter for people to comment without uh, knowing the whole knowing the whole story, and you know, just you know, not to get on a Twitter thing, but frankly, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I have a Twitter account. I live in, I live in uh, the year 2015, but I have to say, I really do not spend a lot of time on Twitter anymore, and I'm really surprised. Uh, I really feel like it's become a little bit too much of a drug or a crutch 
for a lot of writers anymore. People just open it up and just look at it all day. And I think it gives them a skewed view of what people are actually talking about, of what's actually important, of actual in-depth conversations you can have about things. By de- like Twitter is... You know, Twitter is a, certainly a very useful thing, and it's a very helpful thing. And you can connect with people, you can respond with people. I'm able to send out my work to people, but the idea that that is that it's the actual way that people that we should communicate—it's weird the number of people that seem to use it that way. And they see they see these Twitter uh, kerfuffles that pop up every once up once in a while as actual things rather than just like the same thousand people all talking to one another. And so I I have to say I, I don't. I really open up Twitter to uh, to when someone sends something to me, or I'm, I look at my mentions occasionally. But I don't have Twitter open and looking at it all day because I feel like that's not I I lose touch with what's actually going on and just get caught into Twitter land. So I I did I don't really tweet that much at all uh, anymore. And I think, frankly, it's become you know I was at the World Series in 2013. There was this very funny moment where Michael Walker gave up a home run to David Ortiz over the Green Monster and. And you know when you're, I was sitting in the press box in in right field, and when you look at a, a, a press box anymore, everyone the minute everyone does, they they get their computer down and Sweet. they open up TweetDeck. <laughs> they open up TweetDeck, and they're and that's just what they look at all game. They don't look at the game, they don't look at the score, but they don't bring anything in. They literally just stare at TweetDeck the entire uh, the entire game. And I I'm sorry, I just I don't think that's actually how this is supposed to work. And I don't think you're actually never mind journalists. I think this notion that Twitter is the end all be all of communication just because it's easy and it's fast uh, for me I think is making uh, to be honest I think it's making a lot of the work it's making a lot of very smart people a lot dumber. And I find it frustrating to see. Well, you know it's interesting because in around I think around 2012 ish. Uh, Whenever uh, S.L. Price would come on the show, he didn't have Twitter. And uh, part, we, we would always have these discussions about why he should have it. And he, you know, he would say to me, like, why should I have this? And I think you know, I would always – obviously the number one reason would say, well, you can link your stuff on there. Right. You know, and that's still true. And uh, I think the number two reason I always said was, well, it's really fun uh, the night of the big game to be able to watch it with everybody. And I still think that's kind of true. Anything else I said, I think is just not the case anymore. Yeah, you know, like, I, I, like you there, know, there was a time we would lobby people to get on Twitter. Right, I, like, I don't think I would. Not any, yeah, I wouldn't what's wrong anymore. with you? And, yep. and now, if someone's not on Twitter, I'm actively envious of them. I feel like stay away. Like you've made it this far by not being on Twitter. Do not get on now because people. I, I all told, I think if we would have known that this is what. Twitter was going to become. I think we would have been more hesitant. You know, right. it controls too much, and uh, and it's true. I, I always joke that like Twitter basically turns everything into the Today Show or the front page of Yahoo, and uh, and it you know it's the by definition you can't get into in depth about anything. But people tend to use it as their only communication device, and I have to say I find that baffling. I find it baffling, and I I find it incredibly. Uh, it's just it's it's not particularly constructive to pretty much anything. And it's got to be like a third of the users are there specifically to find something to be outraged about. Yeah, and and that's the thing is, and you know, it's no wonder that that uh, it's a binary program. You know, it's a it's, you you can't you can't be in the middle on it. We talk about how our culture is degrading and how politics has become this people yelling at each other. It's Twitter. 
<laughs> it's Twitter, and I understand at a certain level that Twitter is just simply reflecting humanity. But that's not really exactly true, because humanity allows you to talk in more than 140 characters. It is baffling. I just do not understand why people would think, would use Twitter as their primary communication device to see the world through, to, to, to read things through, and to interact with people through. I get it. It is, it is a helpful tool. It is a helpful tool that I use and appreciate the utility of. But people have it's turned into a culture in a way that is that uh, i think is destructive uh to what happens when you step away from the computer and uh and and uh, and i you know it was very funny there was i mean look at the way that we talk to each other in public now we talked like you're seeing more and more of it you know and i find it encouraging and i still truly believe one of the things i've been online I was I was writing columns online in 1997, you know, and I've been I, I've been uh, part of the online culture for for my, my entire adult life, and I've always taken a lot of solace in the fact that the way people are online is in fact different than they are in the real world. By sure. definition, yeah. you're an avatar, mm-hmm. like we are. Like it's just it's just different. What no matter how angry or relaxed or funny or whatever we are online eventually we have to go to the store and get milk and that is what we really are and that and we or we go out to dinner with our spouse or we we hang out with our children or we whatever we do these things are different than our online lives and i find twitter's incessance and that's really the best way to put it it's yeah, like it's incessance is making us forget that that's the person we are not the person that we are on Twitter, and and uh, so it has made me seed from it, you know. And I and I haven't really gotten, I haven't really, I haven't written anything about it. I, there's nothing more obnoxious than someone saying, "Here's why you're all wrong for being on Twitter, and I'm right, and I secede." Like I get it. Like people use it forever; they want to use it. But personally speaking, I find it. Uh, you know, uh, Louis C.K. talked recently about how you know he got off Twitter because he just felt like it was not making things better for anyone yeah he felt like he would feel bad when he left it he things that he would say he would regret he uh he would workshop jokes that wouldn't that people would 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 take as as finished products he just found it unenjoyable and i get it and i have to say i've kind of gone that direction with twitter myself yeah i heard that he was talking about it on the opie and jimmy show actually yeah um and he also <laughs> it's also funny in very louis ck way said the other thing he hated about it was people would want him to pr- promote things on there and he hated that so now he when they when someone says promote your gig on there he just oh i don't have it yeah exactly exactly very louis ck and, funny and it's it's fine because you know now if you actually look at my twitter feed i actually all i really have on there are links to my things anymore i'll respond to people if they ask me something but like then i'll delete those messages whether they're uh, nothing there's nothing offensive on them if, whether they're completely innocuous i just kind of feel like when like right now if you google search my name like with pretty much anyone uh my my personal my personal homepage and twitter are the first two things that come up so i if you're gonna do that if you're like there's really no other reason to search me i'm a very boring guy now i'm married with children i have no i don't have any uh, outside in, in, interesting things going on the only reason you would search my name would be to see my writing so i've now made twitter this is where you can see my writing and this is where you can find it i try to get rid of anything else from that because that's that's what i do you know i i there are people that seem to be professionally on twitter and that's great good for them i am not one of those people so i i I ultimately i see twitter really only as a use to uh to send people to my work and they can find my work because that's why i'm doing any of this if i if i weren't a professional writer 
I would not be on Twitter. I would have no public persona at all, and it would be awesome. Uh, so uh, uh, for me, the only reason I, I really have my name out there at all is because I write professionally, and I want people to see my stuff. But otherwise, I don't really feel this need to constantly be tied in and uh, and plugged in and having constant conversations. I, I have... I'm very fortunate to have uh, Sports on Earth and Bloomberg and Deadspin and New York Magazine. I have all these places where I can write in GQ. I can write, you know, I can go on in length about my thoughts about things. I see no reason to use Twitter as a as a sl- as a stunted worse version of that. You have said so many times. This might be a hard question to answer, but you've said so many times about how important writing is to you and how you want your identity to be your writing, and it made me think to ask you. Because uh, I've read a lot of what you have wrote the last few days, or actually the last few weeks since I've been pre- seemingly preparing for this interview for weeks now. Um, <laughs> right. be- and that's my fault. I-, I-, I know I've made that clear, I hope. Uh, oh. um, but um, what, uh, what, what's been the best thing you have, uh, you've wrote uh, recently? Is it something uh, like... Uh, you know, you know I... Uh... Picking something that's the best is not, you know, there, there's a few things I think turned out well and some things you don't. Best? Well. I've, Hold on, I can write... I rephrase? Hold on, can I rephrase that? Yeah, sure. Okay, let me take the word best out and let me replace okay. it with, what thing have you written recently that you hope that people would read? Uh, uh, that you, like, someone who's listening but... to you on here and says, okay, this guy is talking all about how much he loves to write. Uh, I'm going to go read something. What would you want them to read? Uh, well, I think, like, for example, I'm doing a weekly column for GQ about the Pacquiao-Mayweather uh, fight. And I don't really know anything about boxing. <laughs> like, I'm not an expert in boxing at all. Uh, so, uh, so to me, I've been writing about different aspects of, of the characters in the fight. Like, I wrote about Manny Pacquiao's uh, weird pop cultural footprint about basically he's like this superstar champion, badass, and but every time he's on Jimmy Kimmel, they all make fun of him. He's basically this comedic punchline in a lot of ways. I wrote about the kind of the moral, the the morality of watching Floyd Mayweather, who is a horrible human being, who has like who is I mean in in every sense of the term, the, the he he has he has battered multiple women and uh and really is just a wretched person but i you know he's incredibly exciting to watch fight and i'm about to pay him a hundred dollars he's about to make 180 million dollars off uh, off of this thing that i'm gonna happily pay money to do that just kind of the morality of who people are and uh like what it means to root for someone even if you know they're a horrible person off the field so that was fun uh you know for bloomberg i write a lot about uh i wrote a thing about veep the other day uh, which is because uh, one of the things, one of my basically my job at Bloomberg is to write about politics in a way that is accessible to people that don't know a lot about politics. And I write about uh, I've written a lot about Trevor Noah in The Daily Show. I wrote about the Hillary's campaign ad and kind of the messaging of that and so on. You know that that is incredibly exciting for me because I've written about sports and movies forever, and it's fun to kind of do that uh, to come in a new direction. But you know, for me. One of the things is that I write all the time, and so I have, I've been writing for so long and writing so many words for so long. I have lost the ability to be able to tell when someone when a piece is going to break out and when it isn't. I just don't know anymore. You know, I'm always surprised when uh, when one piece really gets around that I didn't think was that great, and then something I thought was I really nailed. Nobody cares about. Uh, it's always a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I've stopped trying to predict. Uh, I wrote a piece about Michelle Beadle and. Um, 
and Stephen A. Smith a while back uh, about they kind of had a skerfu- uh, kerfuffle on on ESPN that I thought was a minor thing that no one would look at. And it was one of those, and, and next thing you know, it was it was all over the place. So I can't tell. You know, I'm doing this for me, and don't get me wrong. I want people to I want people to read myself, and I'm writing for an audience. But I, you know, the toughest critic is me. And uh, you know, I'm I'm writing things that I I would like to read, and hopefully there are other people that do that. But you know, once I'm finished with one, I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm moving on to something else. So right. pointing out one piece is, uh, you know, I write. I'm at the point now. I'm writing ten or eleven pieces a week for a variety of different publications, and this is what I wanted to do all along. You know, that's all. Like for me, writing is you know to sit down and write. It's a place where I can make sense of the world. It's a place where everything kind of slows down, and uh, the world is chaotic and terrifying and weird and, and 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 just overwhelming in a lot of ways. But everything quiets down when I'm writing, and so for me, uh, I can I can organize the world through my writing in a way that I I guess I can't in life. Do you lean left or right politically? I have no idea. You know, I mean, I I would guess what, I what I, I if say? you were to look at my stances on social issues, I, I I think I you would definitely have to say that I lean left in that regard. But you know, I grew up in a very small town in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. That that is basically Illinois is Nebraska with Chicago at the top. Right. And I'm from the Nebraska top. Right. I'm from very red country. My family's all red. My friends are all red. And I'm comfortable. Like that is those are my people in a lot of ways. So you know, I think that uh, the actual politics of the matters. One of the things I like writing about politics for Bloomberg is they're you know they're not a leftist or a right or a right wing site. You know, right. You don't think do of them best. as one of the extremely yeah. one or the other. Right. Exactly. Right. And like, you know, and certainly I'm gonna bring my own experiences to things. And if you ask me whether uh, I think gay people should be married, I'm not going to lie and say, Well, I gotta hear both sides. Like, no, they should be able to get married. And uh and and and, and you know uh and so Certainly, I'm a human being with my own thoughts on things, but I find it a lot more interesting to write about, you know, one of the problems with politics now, and it's, it's the same politics that we've just been discussing, is the whole pro- is the whole problem with the culture now, is if, if, you, if you and I agree on nine out of ten things, but disagree on the tenth, we both think each other are monsters, <laughs> and we will do everything we can to destroy each other over this tenth thing. Uh, there's some, it's, it's hard... For anyone on different sides of the of the aisle, I guess the case may be, is um, it's hard for anyone to find common ground when the fact is the world is common ground. So it's very frustrating for me to again there, so on certain social issues. I certainly would be classified someone that probably leans left. Uh, I guess the case may be, but the idea of that meaning that if you anyone that's to my right or farther to my left is wrong is to me the problem you know and and it's weird because we have this two-party system you people like so are you a democrat or you're a republican do you lean left or do you lean right and basically you know politics is not just about taxes and or 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 social issues it's politics covers the vast expanse of humanity and everything that we do so the idea that all the all of the world's decisions could be put on one line and whatever your take on something is means you're a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right to me i think is exactly part of the problem Sportscasters are here with uh, William Leach finishing up. I want to ask you two more quick things. Oh, you, you made me think of this, too, uh, about the fight. I think that the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight is the biggest sporting dilemma in years. We, we're going to have to choose between paying $100, uh, going somewhere 
to watch uh, that you will probably have to arrive at least four hours early to be able to uh, to be able to see it or um, you know resist the temptation of uh, watching it in a non-legal fashion <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I think that it's I think it's telling about the excitement for the uh, for that fight that I mean, it's a hundred dollars, man. That's a lot. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it when I seen that. I couldn't and, believe it. You know, uh, so I get it. You know, and I yeah. get it. And it's funny because they're. I think I saw. I think where they're cracking down now because I get. You know, bars don't just buy it for a hundred dollars. I think they have to like oh, pay it's for like a. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. they have to pay for like a certain amount of it. So, so I get it. You know, but for me, you know, I uh, I don't buy a lot of pay per views. It's funny. One of the jokes that we were talking about when I I interviewed Daniel Roberts, who writes about uh, boxing for Deadspin, has written about it for Sports on Earth. And one of the things I was telling him is like. I know so little about boxing. The last fight that I paid for was Lewis Tyson, if you can believe that. So uh, I will be paying for this fight, if just because I don't have to write about it afterwards. But I think that it's telling that, you know, one of the things that people are excited about this fight so much is it finally feels like an event fight. It, it does, finally, like, yep. we've been waiting a long time for mm-hmm. it. It feels like the type of thing where the average, like, there have been a lot of great fights since Lewis Tyson, but none of which I've thought, oh, should I buy that? The answer has always been no. And for me, this is a this is a fight. I think a lot of people feel like they are they would actually pay for, and uh, there aren't a lot of fights like that. And frankly, considering we're talking about two fighters at the end of their careers, you wonder how many more fights there will be like that in the future. And I agree. I just wonder if they'll pay one hundred. It'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, two it's, a quick, it's a lot. Yeah, real. It's it's huge. Uh, two quick things I want to ask you, and I'll let you go. Uh, your book in two thousand nine, God Save the Fan. Uh, it said the uh, subtitle was How Steroid Hypocrites, Soul Sucking Suits, and a Worldwide Leader Not Named Bush Have Taken the Fun Out of Sports. I wonder, uh, six years later, have we gotten any of that back, or has it gotten worse, or the same? Where do you think, how do you think the title of that book would uh, stay the same or change uh, six years later? Uh, I think it's gotten better, to be entirely right. honest. I yeah. think it's still, I don't, I don't know uh, whether or not. Uh, the, the capitalists who run sports have gotten any more magnanimous. I don't think it's a it's a still a racket in a lot of ways, but you know, as a, I have to say, as a as a consumer of sports media, it's awesome. Like it's absolutely awesome. like the amount of like you know, t- ten years. Deadspin is going to turn ten years old in September of this year, which is kind of amazing. And ten years ago, if I wanted to read about say my Cardinals, I had to read the St. Louis Post Dispatch. And maybe there was one blog, maybe. Otherwise, I was emailing with my friend. Now, the number of people that write about the Cardinals or anything that happens in the world, I have so many different options and so many different. But that's scary. I think if you're going into media, because you, because you, you know, you worry. Why is there gonna, how do I carve out a place on this? But it makes it exciting because you want to be a part of it. Because it's a really like as a consumer, there I, I am over whelmed with options now in a way that I wasn't 10 years ago. So, and, and the fact is, is while I'm doing this podcast, I could be watching a baseball game in the background while, while, che- while checking an app on my phone and doing a million other things. I can, I have so much access to, about while reading, you know, a 15,000 word piece about ping pong and I can do all those things that would not have existed 10 years ago. Sure. That is awesome. So I think that in that regard, from a fans level, I think it is better. Are we get? I think we're getting screwed over just as much, but I think that we're getting more out of being uh, of getting screwed over than we used to. So I do think it's better. Uh, 
Skip Bayless is still on the air. That's a problem. But ESPN, but ESPN is better than it was ten years ago because ESPN has had to adapt. There, there, there have been places like like Deadspin and uh, and like uh, you know there've been a lot, there there've been challenges to Deadspin. They've had uh, to ESPN. They've had to raise their game a little bit, and I think they've done so. And so yeah, I think ESPN is better than it was ten years ago. And I think frankly, the uh, sports culture in general is better. Last thing, and I'll let you go. But before you go, you got to make sure you tell everyone where to find all the stuff you do. Uh, but I asked Jeff Passon this question too, and I'll ask you because you're such a great baseball fan. Um, we're about 13, 14, 15 games in or whatever. Uh, what things uh, going forward in the next months of the season are you most excited to see uh, play out on the baseball field? You know, I'm, I mean, it's hard not to be excited about what the Cubs are doing, whether it's going to work, whether it's not going to work, what's going to happen with it. It's certainly exciting to see you know, this is one of one of sports great franchises and great fan bases. And you know, the I back when Time the cover of Time magazine actually meant something, I used to joke that the only real sports story outside of like a terrorist attack at a stadium that would make the cover of the New York Times and Time magazine would be the Cubs winning the World Series. And now I think, you know, that would that would be Talk about people talk about what baseball needs. Uh, baseball would be very happy if the Cubs uh, continued to be good and were relevant. And if so they win it in Back to the Future year, I mean, the country's going to burn. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, as a Cardinal fan, I hope none of this happens. Right. Of course, but uh, but certainly the Cubs are the story. You know, that's a super exciting team, and uh, with with a fan base that's ready to explode and ready to really embrace them. So uh, to me, that's a major story moving forward and you know i think uh uh the mets frankly are a big story uh moving forward to see you know that they're obviously not as good as they're playing right now uh no one is but you know they're these wins count they're wins in the bank and uh and to, to get to get off to this kind of start for the for the mets to make the playoffs you know the mets are another one of those teams that baseball is a little bit more exciting when the Mets are relevant and uh, like the Cubs, to be honest. And so that is to me, the Mets and the Cubs and battling for playoff position in the, in the national league right now, that's as compelling a story as I think you have in baseball. All right. Well, Will Leach writes for sports on earth and is on Twitter at William F Leach. And why don't you just tell everyone uh, where else to find you? Cause I don't want to screw it up. And there's so many uh, great outlets. Why don't you lay it all out so we can uh, stick in touch with your work? Yeah, so I uh, you can find my work on Twitter at uh, William F. Leach, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-F-L-E-I-T-C-H, or just search Will Leach, it'll come up. And also my personal site, tends to, uh, it has links to everything that I write. I do an end-of-the-week post uh, with everything I wrote that week, uh, So, uh, which is just to clarify and get it, get, get it finished, I suppose. But uh, other than that, uh, uh, you can find it at Sports Earth. I write for Sports Earth every day. I write for Bloomberg Politics one, two, three times a week, uh, and I'm just I'm in almost every issue of New York Magazine. And then I do move reviews for Deadspin still because they they have to let the founder of the place feel like he's involved, even <laughs> if that even if, even if it seems that uh, there's no actual reason for them to have move reviews. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank Jeff Passan and Will Leach for being on the podcast. Jeff's been us been with us since day one. Yeah, and uh, that is his ninth time. Wow! So it's always 
I always love having him on just because it feels like he's been a like we built this with him. Sure, yeah. You know, whatever it is we've built, he's been a part of it. I was thinking about the first episode to, uh, driving the other day. I don't know if I'd even want to like. Have I you listened to it? it? No. Yeah, no, that's what I was wondering. Like, how different does it sound? Yeah. I'm sure it's pretty bad. I'm sure Jeff wondered what he was stepping into, but uh, nine episodes later, or yeah. nine times later, so good for him. Uh, you can listen to that first episode, if you dare, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. Uh, you can email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. I am looking for ideas for the book club, so I'm kind of stumped. I don't really have a cool book. I'm going to solicit ideas for my one last thing, too. So We uh, are also... I can say very excited that our friend Adam Lazarus uh, has a release date September 1st, 2015 for his Redskins book. He posted the cover on Facebook, so I know that's out there. Um, I guess he's to the point where if you can get a Redskins book out by September 1st, then I guess so be it. Because you know these authors like Perlman. I know what his next book is. I can tell you off the air. And I knew what his Lakers book was. Yeah, they're very secretive. But, man, he does not want anyone to know. Like, he would kill me. He might sue us. Right. You, you know, or, or he would absolutely never speak to us again. Get a you know? C&D, cease and desist. Yeah, something yeah. would happen for sure. Uh, and, and and we talked with Jeff, obviously, about his book. Got about a year left on that. Uh, but email us, bookclubideas at sportscasters at gmail.com, and things that you might want Don to talk about. And one last thing, you could also – uh, tweet him those ideas. Well, yeah, no, I yes, you can. That's I'm going to ask a question in this one. Oh, this in this one. But if you want me to talk about something, you fire yeah. away. Yeah, or I, <laughs> I would take requests as well. Sure, for one last why thing. not? Wouldn't that be amazing if we just got flooded with one last thing requests? <laughs> like people are really dying to know. Oh what our no, yeah, is on, like our favorite cheese or something. We have 300 new emails, and they're all one last <laughs> thing requests. Uh, you can tweet us at sports underscore casters or. At Don Lake Sports. We've talked about having the blogs and not using them much. I'm actually working on one. Good. Uh, that will be up soon. And I'd like to do something on draft night. And um, maybe something Don can do. Well, we'll save it. <laughs> uh, I think that's all the plugs. Yeah, so that brings me into my one last thing for this week is how do you watch the draft when your team isn't drafting? Uh, I always enjoy that first night of the draft. I usually write uh, an ill-informed and goofy blog, kind of counting down my my day at the draft, or counting down the players as they get drafted. Right. But uh, I suppose I can still do that. It doesn't change all that much just because my team isn't there. But I, I've almost not been paying attention as much to the breakout or the guys expected to be the stars in the draft because I know my team's not going to get one of them. But uh, – yeah, tell me, give me suggestions. I know you're going to say something because you said you went through it. Well, but- yeah, no, I had this happen to me a few years ago when the Saints had traded back into the first round to get Ingram. Ingram, right. So they already didn't have a first-round pick the following year. And then the NFL took the second-round pick, which I still can't even believe they had the balls the to do that. Bounty gate. For Bounty Gate. Uh, and they didn't pick until the third round, which was actually not even that day, I don't think. No, probably so not. Now that, it's the third day, right? Right. So that first day, they weren't even a part of it at all. Yeah. Um, and it sucked for do they, sure. Do they go? <laughs> I mean, well, they lost, right? I think you still go there and and try so and get table. back in maybe. Yeah. 
You know, I, and I think the Bills will absolutely be – they're very aggressive. Uh, their GM has been very aggressive. I yeah. think they'll absolutely see – be working the phones all day to see if there's a time to get back into that round and add something that can make their team, which is very much – a team you consider on the cusp, right? Uh, that much closer. He was very honest, though. I, I think they're they're starting. Probably won't happen. The starting right. roster is very good, but as far as ammunition, like they to don't make have a, a trade, yeah. they don't have. I mean, they don't have a first of their own, so that makes it tough. And then you always have next year's, right? Right. But I think most people think next year's draft is better. Is better, right? So do they? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's no, deeper. it's it's shitty. Yeah, I don't know how to get excited yeah. for it. I mean, it's a lot more exciting to be a Saints fan and have, what, five of the top 70 picks and two in the first round. And there's just oh, that's right. yeah. infinite possibilities for the Saints on uh, on draft day. So that's why I want to, I think, do something. Yeah, so between now and next week, anyone out there, you got any good suggestions on how to make it exciting? Usually it involves Dairy Queen. My, yes, myself or the wife yeah. wanting to get Dairy Queen, so that that's that a positive, is a, an annual tradition. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I think Michelle will be pissed if Dairy Queen is dropped because of your lack of interest in the draft. Yeah, if there's no Dairy Queen right. and like I'm watching a draft that the Bills aren't even a part of, yeah, it might be Did might be a rough sell. Molly not have her first ever Dairy Queen via draft night. She may have. I'd have to look back. I want to say at part our, of one of the archives. blogs was that she was enjoying her first taste of. Yeah, she may have. She's yeah. not a big ice cream fan. But. My uh, ring bearer, I was able to give him his first pizza. Sweet. I thought that was really Before the cool. wedding? Or just in general? Long before the wedding. Okay. Like the first time he ever had pizza. Oh, cool. I had bought it and brought it to the house. and Nice. It's like introducing someone to pizza is fun. Yeah, it's pretty good. Netflix announced that, well, actually, Uncle Jesse, John Stamos, announced uh, that Full House is getting a reboot. It's going to return to Netflix for a 13-episode sequel in 2016. Uh, it's called Fuller House, which is a horrible name. Sure is. Uh, and it's going to focus on Candace Cameron Bure's DJ Tanner. Okay. Who is unbelievably in a very eerily similar position to her father. She has just been widowed, and she's a pregnant vet. And the first time I read this, I swear to God, I thought it said vegetarian. And I thought, it's really weird that they're focusing on her not eating meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait a minute. They focus it on one of the kids. I mean, DJ was the oldest kid. She is now widowed, just like her father was. Is everyone on board? Well, we'll get to that. All right. Uh, her younger sister, the one who's got Stephanie. the, uh, you know, now. Yeah. Um, is an aspiring musician. She's going to be on it. She's on it. Oh, okay. Because I think she had some drug problems or something. Yeah, that's cleaned up, and now Good. she's just got those big things. <laughs> uh, she's an aspiring musician. And uh, Kimmy Gibbler is also going to be on. Uh, who will be bringing with her a feisty teenage daughter named Ramona. Oh, good. So they all move in. The house is DJ, Stephanie, Kimmy, and Ramona, as well as DJ's soon-to-be-born son or daughter. And I'm sure they have animals because she's a veterinarian, not a vegetarian, as I 
thought it said when I was skimming it originally on the toilet. How many seconds does it take Kimmy Gibbler to sign yes to the contract? To- <laughs> <laughs> By the way, DJ already has two other sons. Oh. JD, who is a rebellious 12-year-old, and her neurotic 7-year-old Max. Okay. So it's essentially the same. She has – she is there. Her husband is dead. She has two kids and a newborn. All right. And in the house with her is an aunt as opposed to an uncle mm-hmm. and a best friend. It's exactly the same. It's not any fuller. No. No. <laughs> Uh, Stamos is the producer of the show and he will reprise his role as a guest star. You know, every once in a while, Uncle Jesse comes over. Sure. You know, and is a part of it. Uh, Aunt Becky going to be there too? They haven't said anything in this article. I don't think about Becky, Uh, but they are in discussions with Saget, the Olsons, uh, Uncle Joey, and Laura Laughlin. Is she Becky? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, they are talking to her about also, you know, being a part of the show, you know, because every once in a while when Uncle Jesse comes over, why not bring Aunt Becky, Aunt Becky with as well? Sure. Um, what else do we got here? We got a quote uh, from Netflix, I believe. Yes. As big fans of the original Full House, we are thrilled to be able to introduce Fuller House's new narrative to existing fans worldwide who grew up on the original as well as the new generation of global viewers that have grown up with the Tannerson syndication. And that is absolutely true. Full House has never not been on TV and never not been popular. No, uh, my 10 – she 10? 20? 9 or – my niece, uh, 9 or 10-year-old, uh, loves it. Yeah, this show has held up somehow. Uh, whatever demo they were trying to hit, Didn't they have it. hit it oh, generation yeah. after generation. Uh, in a joint statement, uh, the executive producers – uh, say they continue to su- the continued support of Full House fans of all ages for the last 28 years has been astonishing. Kind of what I just said. Uh, and it, it's an honor and a thrill to catch up with these beloved characters and explore their lives today. Uh, the love you saw in the show was real. The cast has remained a loving family off screen all these years. I believe that's true, too. Uh, we are as excited as our fans to bring Full House back to life. Who do you think is the toughest get for them? Well, it's the twins just because they're what so I'm rich. Thinking. Yeah, they, they don't even do anything anymore, right? Like yeah, they made their money as kids and they held it. And- Hollywood is at a tough time finding out what to do with them post cuteness. You know, like right, they made movies adolescence, and stuff, right? But they, had- they made billions of dollars on movies clothes, and clothes and all yeah. that shit. Uh Stamos said on Kimmel it's a labor of love. Uh, we've been literally trying for so many years to do it right, and I think I finally got it perfect. I'd be shocked, by the way, if Saget doesn't come on because him and Kimmel, Stamos are legitimate. Kimmel friends. asked Saget if he would appear on the show, and Stamos replied, "He better." <laughs> yeah, they're um, they're like real life front like BFFs, so I'd be shocked if they don't. We've seen this happen with Boy Meets World. Yep, they got a reboot. Girl Meets World, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, this is happening with Full House, and I think it's really cool that this is going to happen more because there's so many out. That this is what this is, I think, an unknown consequence of more channels netflix dvds all those things is that shows have gotten a much longer shelf life yeah a show like the a-team in the 80s that i loved 
it played for four years. It had its uh, run in syndication, but there was less room for it. It wasn't on straight through. It didn't get to maintain its cultural viability anywhere outside of my house, <laughs> uh, where it remains the greatest show of all time. Right. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, almost everything is in play, right? Like, any show that's on Netflix could tomorrow become the new cool thing for everyone to watch. Sure. And the next day be the new idea of something to reboot. And as you said about, like, some of the players in this show not having big careers, I think that's true of a lot of stars of former TV shows. Yeah. Right? Uh, They hit big with the TV show. They never – they get typecast. They never find another way. And absolutely, 20 years down the line, now they have families they want to support. Of course they'd be on board. To reboot a show. Now, things are being rebooted to death. I don't know if that's a new thing, but um, they rebooted Spider-Man. It, all, it hasn't always worked in movies. Right. You uh, know, obviously there's been – there was an A-Team movie, for example. Right. Sucked. Right. You know, so it hasn't always worked in movies. So, I mean – And I don't know if we can think of a specific example of it really working in TV just yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, the rest of development a, was, was – I didn't watch all of it um, on Netflix, but it's supposed to be good. So, like, it – um, it did come back. I mean, if you call the Family Guy a reboot because it got canceled originally, then that worked. It really seems well. so long ago, but it wasn't that Netflix was in this unbelievable crossroads when they made the unpopular decision to split off the streaming and the mailing services. Yeah, the stock plummeted. Everyone hated them. Nobody wanted to sign up for both, and here they are with hit shows. Yeah. Uh, the catalyst of reboots like this. I mean, Netflix is I, I, I a powerhouse. Would, I out wonder there. if I mean you've got guys like Kevin Spacey with uh, movie credibility doing great shows. Yeah, uh, and I think I wonder if they start. I wonder if Netflix becomes a film house before too long. Like, do they have their own documentaries or anything yet? Because if they don't, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not far off. And I bet it'd be good. And I think Gandolfini kind of is the king. The started that. That you can be a leading man in a or a leading lady in a hit TV show and be just as famous as a, as a guy who hit sure. in a movie. You know, there is definitely not the. There is many stars who I've heard say on Howard or or, or anywhere else that, you know, hey, uh, when I started my career, I would have never went back to TV. TV yep. But now there's more interesting stories being told on TV. There's more money in TV than there ever was before. Just so many great things happening. And I wanted to ask you this, as we are getting a little long, so you usually keep these a little short, but I did want to ask you, is there a dream show out there for you? Is there a dream that one day you'd wake up and it would be... Firefly. Firefly, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay, I knew that. So is there a a second one? That someday you'll go to, uh, you know, whatever, your Facebook feed, and someone will have reposted an article, and it will say Netflix has decided to reboot this. And not with, you know. I, I'd have to think about it harder, but the one thing that immediately jumps to mind is like something like Ed, like that just yeah. never found an audience, really. Right. Uh, but I'm sure I could think of something. Well, you know, and it, for me, like just recently, you know, Parenthood ended. Right. Uh, it's run on NBC, but they have, uh, the executive producer has said he doesn't necessarily want the world to end, that maybe they'd be interested in doing something like the Brady's would do. Where they would have, you know, a movie here or there, yeah. um, a two-hour special or something. But his most recent thing is that yes, he would consider that, but he's more interested in maybe uh, getting some kind of uh, 
arc somewhere that he'd be able to run. You know, a four or five, six episode arc. Maybe it doesn't involve the whole cast, but uh, this year there's a four episode arc on this part, and next year it's this or whatever. I mean, it's so many possibilities, and it's because we have all these outlets that are looking to fill. Right. And content is king now. I, I know you shows content. Shows have done it before with spin-offs. Like I believe like Maud is a spin-off of something and like uh Brady Bunch might have had spin-offs that, like The Jeffersons is the first maybe famous spin-off. Okay, right. But Vince Gilligan now did it with an immensely popular show and successfully. the show right shockingly is we really about really that. Yeah. good that came out of it. So I mean yeah. this might be the new world, which is awesome. Like if if the content is good, I'll keep watching. 